I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does for comic book movies what Max Dillon does for utility bills in New York City. I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Seb Patrick, James Hunt and Reese Williamson. Ah, four people on the same podcast, what witchcraft is this? It's such a special episode and we, we just, we've got so much effusive praise to give to this film, we have to spread it around. What it actually is is an alternate cover podcast reunion. Hey, it is. we're back, guys. With, yeah. with Joe sort of hanging on the end. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just tagging along. Get for, out, Joe, you know, you're yeah. off, mate. We, we've each been on an episode with Reese previously, but... Um, yes, not all three of us Is together. Is that right? We've so. never done a show with all four of us. No, oh, fun. Okay, cool. Not okay. since. And if anyone wants to try and find this on the internet, an old podcast called Raging Bullshit, which uh, yeah. which Reese and I made, and Seven James guested on, which was actually how we all met in the first place. Yeah, I think, I think. so. I think that so. is true. Yeah. Certainly, certainly all in the same room anyway. Well, I'm going to cry, yeah. guys. Should we do a Patreon Raging Bullshit special? <gasps> we should do that. Revival. Yes. Oh, one off. I think, I think that needs to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Reese still definitely owns all of the, uh, the IP for that one. Um, for the LLC. Yeah. Um, maybe we can Patreon. We, yeah, we'll get it, we get it Patreon funded. <laughs> Um, we'll Reece, give you a tenner, Reese. If any of our, if any of our listeners <laughs> don't remember you from any of the multiple episodes you've been on the past, do you want to you want to reintroduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Reese. I I know Joe from uni, and I know Seb and James from a little bit after that. We we produced their, or I helped them produce their their sitcom a few years back, and that this podcast that we just read for it's raging bullshit helped sort of was was working with Joe on that. And now I um, I manage a cinema in West London, Olympic Studios. Uh, what was one plug? Which is where we're recording from we're right there. now. We're right now there in the conference room where I think during the afternoon there were some business meetings happening here. But now we're doing a podcast. <laughs> now the real business. And, and you were telling us off mic beforehand that that Spider Man himself was um, at your cinema. Yes, that's right. Recently. Last Sunday, but, but the good Spider Man, not, not yes. the one we've Toby Maguire was here last weekend. <laughs> Um, Tom Holland did a charity screening of Homecoming last weekend, and uh, I met him, and he had a very firm handshake. He's, you know, very Can I check? strong lad. Was John Watts here? Uh, John Watts doesn't exist. No, he so doesn't he, exist. He That's that is the no, correct answer. It does not exist. Uh, I also, I'm also a comedy producer by night, uh, comedysessions.co.uk, so I'll, I'll, I'll plug that as well. But I'm done. I'm done for plugs. Uh, that's how I know these these lads, and we're going we're gonna to get down to it, aren't we, today? Absolutely. Um, there's not going to be an awful lot of news this week, because... 
all of the news got announced at San Diego Comic-Con. We'll, we'll briefly hit on something, but it will be getting fairly swiftly down to our discussion of Mark Webb's 2014 movie. I guessed that. Okay. What, when, when did the... <laughs> it was, You're the host. Yes. <laughs> it was what, sorry? It was 2014. It was. I got it right. I'm not even going to edit any of that out. Just show... Where's, where's James's bell? We need James needs to ring the bell to Mark. <laughs> well, he doesn't need that. to use it yet because it's I got it on the right. button. Mark Webb's 2014 movie, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, and if you remember our first episode on The Amazing Spider-Man... Um, I didn't like it an awful lot. Um, Seven James didn't like it either, but um, I think I went slightly delirious during that episode. It was uh, <laughs> the rants are end all rants, so I'm, I'm going to try and keep a lid on it this week. Well, this uh, movie's a lot worse, so I mean, I think it's going <laughs> to be hard. It's going to be tough. <laughs> we'll get to it. Um, but before we discuss that movie, um, and before we even get to the news, I need to ask Seb and James, and maybe even mm, Reese. To explain a comic book concept that, as a movie fan, I just do not understand. And this week, I'm going to riff on the Infinity War news that we got at Comic-Con. James, you read all of the Jonathan Hickman Avengers leading up to Secret Wars and all that kind of stuff, didn't you? Yes. So you should be able to explain to me the Black Order, who are going to be Thanos' minions in uh, Avengers Infinity War next year. (laughs) <laughs> um, who are they? Should I care? They are a bunch of disposable henchmen <laughs> who sort of do his bidding so that you have someone to fight before you fight Thanos. Okay. Um, and so what we, we're seeing Corvus, I'm good, again, Corvus Glaive. Off, off the top of my head. Corvus, Corvus Glaive. Glaive and the Outriders, you'll find. Some of them have the, they have, I'm sorry, Jamie, you are underselling this. They have... Extremely cool names and characters. Ooh, that I one of them, one their of, names I mean, are so cool. One of them's called Cull Obsidian, but that wasn't their name oh, in the comics. So cool. That was like the name of the group. One of them, Black Dwarf, maybe. Black yeah. Dwarf. No, that's Prox- the one they yeah. had to change. They changed that to yeah. Cull Obsidian. <laughs> yeah. Proxima Midnight is the coolest oh, one. Oh, Proxima Midnight, Midnight is such yeah. a cool name. Yes. Oh. These all is that sounds- not the name of a Jaeger? <laughs> it does. Yeah. It's a crossover. Yeah. These all sound like the prog rock bands that Thor Ragnarok has been adapting the album covers of for, <laughs> for that movie. Um, yeah, do, do any of them have any personality in and of themselves? Like, is there any that you're like, oh, that that one would make a good fight with Black Panther I mean, or Doctor they, Strange? They or... probably do have quite distinct personalities because they were written by Jonathan Hickman, but at the same time, it's been years and they're the kind of characters no one's dead touch without Jonathan Hickman around so they've kind of disappeared right okay I just there's another name I just wrote Ebony Moore is like a crazy cool name for a character <clears throat> Ebony Moore sorry super giant <laughs> less cool super giant. Less that's cool. less cool that's, that's less cool that was Hickman's like late night he was, he'd written the first four and he's like oh <laughs> super, super giant yeah fine so Terry Notary is mocap performing one of these and it seems like that's what they're doing they're mocap performing it's, they're going to be CG characters, but mocap. Um, but they'll get celeb name. They'll get celeb names to voice all of these, right? That's that sounds like the way to do it. Yeah, yeah to to get to your Rocket Raccoon, have a bit of a hook. Right. Um, <laughs> Just get Andy Serkis to voice one of them. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd be surprised if he didn't. You know, <laughs> get Vin Diesel and Bradley Cooper to do the others. Just just <laughs> keep it all in house. But Terry Notary is a guy who's done lots of the performance capture alongside Andy Serkis on uh, the Planet of the Apes trilogy. So. Mm. 
Um, you know, they're certainly working with the best in the business there. Um, I, I, I was slightly concerned when I read that they, okay, Thanos is going to have some minions because you can't just have the final boss turn up straight away. I get that. But if they, it, it sounds like people who know the characters from the Hickman run say, yeah, do you know what? For nameless, for kind of like bland henchmen, they're pretty good bland, bland henchmen. So they have good designs. I'll say that much. Yeah. And I think it's not going to take much to you combine those great designs with those killer names, some interesting <laughs> writing, and some. I, I honestly think you, they're going to get some some Bradley Cooper level people to voice these characters, right? So I think in a year, these honestly, a few of these could be, uh, you know, what, what, what's what it, what it called when you dress up at a Comic Con? Cosplay. cosplay. These are going to be cosplay people. I can feel yeah, it. Yeah, okay. I can feel you're it. Going to be, you know? You're going to be digging out your Proxima Midnight yeah. action figures. <laughs> you joke, James, because that's what you do. That's your role. You're the role you play on this podcast. But you're right. You're right. <laughs> Stop undermining the format. It's too early for that. Um, well, I, I certainly feel like I've got a future pitch written for me there anyway. Who's going to be, who should we get to voice the, uh, the Black Order? Not the pitch for this episode, though, because I've already asked you to prepare another one. <laughs> and uh, as 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 said, pointed out in the last episode, ten to fifteen minutes before we started recording, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it should be of high quality as always. Um, but we'll You're move just on. Doing it deliberately so that our pitches will be bad and you can judge us negatively. Yeah, exactly. Um, secretly, <laughs> I've been preparing my counter pitch for a fortnight. Um, <laughs> we'll move on now, though, to the comic book news section. As I said, this is a uh, comic book movie news section. Um, this is going to be fairly brief because all of it came out of Comic Con. Um, but I thought I'd mention something or have an excuse to talk about something that I just uh, forgot to put into the mini-sode last week, or the mega-sode. Um, I wrote about it for the website, and then I was like, oh yeah, so I've definitely spoken about it already, I don't need to put that in. Um, we haven't spoken on the podcast about the New Warriors casting. Um, so New Warriors has has kind of cast up that entire show. Um, the news this week that we can kind of huck it into is that uh, Keith David, who... You know, you know Keith David from something, even if you don't recognise the he's name. He's Goliath. Hello. Yeah, yeah. He, there we go. Um, don't confuse him with David Keith. That's a different guy. Um, <laughs> Keith David's great. He was also in Kevin Beagle, who's running the show. His last sitcom, Enlisted. Keith David was one of the leads there. Uh, was great. Yeah, yeah, really you saw that, Reese. Yeah, yeah. And Keith David was on top yes, form. Yeah, he was really good in that. So that's pretty cool. Um, but I wonder what you guys were thinking about just generally the way that this whole New Warriors show is shaping up. So I remember I I messaged, emailed you guys when this when the casting news came out and went, oh, have you seen who they've cast as Squirrel Girl? Is this Milana Weintraub? I, I I can't pronounce her name. Um, Melania Trump. N- no, that would that would definitely be bad casting. That would be news, right? Yeah. Um, but Milana, Milana Vaintraub, who was kind of best known in the US for being on a bunch of adverts for AT&T. And I was kind of like, okay, so they've cast a 30-year-old when the current successful take on this character is a college-age <laughs> teen. They've cast this, this, this person who's like, I mean, she's, she's also like noticeably pretty, Whereas, you know, kind of like, I think part of the charm of Doreen in the comics is the kind of like, like slightly gawky awkwardness, her kind of like, she seems like proportioned, not not in the way that you'd normally get from a comic book character, it feels a little bit more authentic. Um, and, and, but then I went and watched a bunch of her stuff and I was like, 
Oh, she's interesting. She was in the Paul Feig sitcom Other Space, which I watched all of, and she was, I think, better than the than the, the show as a whole. I think um, you've written up here as better than Red Dwarf, so you're a fan of that show. <laughs> yeah, so that show. The show that clearly wanted to be the American Red Dwarf and wasn't. Um, <laughs> it's all right. Um, Seth MacFarlane's going to have a, a go oh, at doing that. That's, yeah, that's, so, that's a lot better yeah. than Red Dwarf. Yeah. yeah. Forget Red Dwarf when they watch the other. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was, I was kind of quietly encouraged. And then you kind of you, you look at the, the other characters that are going to be on the show. Uh, Mr. Immortal, who apparently is going to be very complacent because he's immortal and thinks he can't <laughs> thinks he can't die, so never gets around to actually doing anything. You've got Night Thrasher, who's a, a superhero who's a bit crap but takes himself very seriously. Um, Speedball, an impulsive people pleaser. Uh, Microbe, pretty much the comics version of that character there, just a very shy hypochondriac. Um, and then Debris, who um, is uh, was described as being funny and quick witted, and also. Um, out as a lesbian and confidently out as a lesbian in the show, um, and that was another thing. Like the kind of the is the, that her power? I, don't... I, I think that, <laughs> it might be. Okay. But there, there, was, there was also I thought it was interesting that the show has reacted to kind of two ways online. Some people saying this is amazing superhero TV show. Um, it's got a female lead. It's got uh, like uh, lots of different uh, ethnicities of people in the roles within the actual team. Um, you know, the, there's black and Asian characters and, and white characters and there's um, there is an openly gay character I think it just it seems encouraging and then there was the other side of things going why is Squirrel why is this obscure character Squirrel Girl being adapted before America Chavez or before Miles Morales or before any of these other number of heroes of colour and why is Debris being cast with a, a light skinned black actress when the character is dark skinned in the comics and so I just thought it was a, it was a really kind of bizarre conversation that was happening around the show. Um, so after saying all of that, what are you guys thinking about this? Are, are you any more encouraged by New Warriors? Is any of that kind of going to you? Oh, yeah, this is starting to make sense for me. I can see what they're going for here. I mean, it's clear they're going to be playing down the superhero aspect to a large extent because those characters aren't very superhero-y. I know that James, you generally feel quite positive when they do that in these sort of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you must feel good about it. I just, I just hope it's better than Powerless. That's all I want out of it. I think for me, Kevin Beagle, two words. He's just made a lot of really funny stuff uh, in the last, you know, ten years. Funny sitcoms. I yeah. think he's, uh, you know, if he's running this show, there's a chance it will be good. Almost any other, any everything else aside. Um, and adding Keith David, yeah, is, sure. is is great. But it's—I mean, it, I think it's going to be a—it's going to be a sitcom, right? It's going to be—it's going to be—it's going to be you know, all of Ken Beagle's stuff is quite—is quite—is quite loose. It's quite. Uh, could they not do? Could silly. they not just do the Scotty Young New Warriors series, which is them making a reality show? So they're all part of a reality show. And, like The Office. Yeah, so it's kind of like break, I mean, commission. Yeah, breaking the fourth wall. Superheroes talking about their their day to day lives to the camera, but within the Marvel universe. That's. I would be very surprised if they didn't have that aspect to it. To be honest. Well, fingers crossed. And probably probably in a modern family way where there's no conceit, even that they're making a documentary. <laughs> it's just they do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good chat. What about you, Seb? What, what you got much high hopes for this? Um. I'm struggling to have strong opinions about it one way or the other, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I, we talked before about how <laughs> what I like about recent Squirrel Girl comics 
is the sense of humour and the talent of the creative team behind it. Mm. So it doesn't necessarily follow that I'm going to like this just because it's a comedy superhero series with Squirrel Girl in it. Because Squirrel um, Girl I'll... hasn't been necessarily like a smash just in any comic she turns up in. Because I, I, mm. I know that great Lake, Lakes Avengers comic was kind of riffing on the facts of like they wanted to have Squirrel Girl around. But it doesn't mm. seem like... <laughs> it doesn't seem like she's a selling point outside of that title right now or that she's great when she pops up in other books. It is Ryan North and Eric Anderson that are bringing... Well, there were, like, yeah, but that's the, not the character had a kind of kitsch appeal. Like, she was used as the babysitter in New Avengers for a while mm. for um, Luke Cage and Jessica Jones' child. Oh, and, okay. like, she beat a Wolverine in that series, I think. Was that where she beat a Wolverine? Like, she attacked him with a bunch of squirrels when they were like, you know, what good are you? <laughs> yeah. So, like, they, you know, she had sort of value in entertainment terms before her own series started. You've got to imagine as well that they're probably, this is a show that's probably going to be able to mine its, the, the kind of the shit Marvel villains, you know, take the, like, mm. the obscure nonsense that they don't need to <laughs> What If they do that, what are they going to leave Agents oh. of S.H.I.E.L.D.? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was wondering whether that she could maybe just back clean up, kind of, <laughs> for, the, for the agents of Shield. <laughs> like she can come in and just like take out all of the rubbish villains that they've been like messing I mean, around with for three Ag- or four Agents of Shield has already used Anger the Screamer, so there's nowhere <laughs> left to go. <laughs> Look, Captain I mean, America the, the, used Batroc the Leaper, James. So, <laughs> I mean, the, the the thing about this is it's you know. Comedy is, or even, you know, if this is, I don't know if this is going to be out and out sitcom or, or comedy drama or, or what. Sitcom, but, definitely. Yeah, sitcom. I mean, yeah. comedy is the most subjective thing. Mm. And if something makes you laugh, you'll forgive a lot more that you might not have forgiven if it was like a serious drama. And similarly, with the best will in the world, if something is a comedy and it just doesn't make you laugh, then it just doesn't work for you no matter what else it does. So I'm, I'm perfectly you know, prepared to keep an open mind over this. I hope this is good. I hope this makes me laugh. I hope it's fun. But also with comedy, as well as it being massively subjective, it's impossible to tell until you see it whether it's going to make you laugh or not. So, yeah. you know. Okay, well, fingers crossed for New Warriors. Um, that's coming up next year. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of all the news because everything else came out of Comic-Con. So if you haven't listened to the uh, San Diego Comic-Con bonus episode, go I back have, and listen to that. I listened today before you arrived. What do you, so. what do you think, Reese? Marks out of five? I think comics are, are good. I like them and they're, they're happening. There will be more of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so go back and listen to that if you want, if you want more news. Um, but before we move on to our Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man 2 discussion, uh, James, what have you got to... Uh, you've got a treat for our listeners, don't you? Yes, uh, there is a new Batman film coming out this year, uh, this month even. I don't know if you've noticed, it is called uh, Batman and Harley Quinn. Uh, It is in cinemas for one day only on the 14th of August. And uh, it's essentially a feature-length episode of the Batman animated series in which Batman, Nightwing and Harley Quinn team up to track down uh, some villains. That sounds great. I'm sold already. Yeah. So as part of the promotional tour for that, I have interviewed Lauren Lester, the voice of Nightwing. And we're going to drop in a few quotes from that now. And if you want to hear the whole thing, uh, we'll be posting that on our Patreon later. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, let's, let's go to James having a chat with Nightwing. Hi, this is Lauren. 
Lauren Webster, and I'm the voice of Grayson, uh, and is uh, Robin and Nightwing. The the movies kind of evolve the the tone of the TV series quite a lot. How do you feel about that that change? Like, is it challenging for you as an actor to try and keep the the character consistent? Well, I think I, I think the, the the show is very consistent with the the tone and the feel of the old show and mm-hmm. the characters. Absolutely, as Batman and uh, Robin, well, as Batman and Nightwing mm-hmm. and. Uh, Poison Ivy and Harley, as they're all written, it's all very true to uh, what we were doing before. The fact that now we can tell some jokes that are more, you know, in the PG-13, I think it just makes us even more human. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they're even more human. Uh, but but it was no challenge at all, because the script was so good, it was no challenge at all uh, finding uh, Nightwing again. Mm-hmm. And so, like, what's it like working with Bruce Tim again? You know, show mm-hmm. and uh, he was determined to, I think and when they, when people see the movie I think they'll agree he was determined to, to recreate that universe again and people have been you know just clamoring for it doing a lot of comic cons and people always come up and say when are you going to do you and Kevin when are you going to team and do some more of these and, and my answer would always be I don't know but uh, <laughs> Bruce um, uh, uh, wrote uh, you know produced this as a tribute, I think to the old to the old show. Hopefully, there'll be even more because I think people people really want to see it. So he's a, he's a, a, you know, brilliant at what he does, and he's um, you know very easy going, low key guy to work with, and that's always that's always pleasant. And uh, of course, he's he's very funny. He lays back, you know, and he's not one of those people who's always on and always telling jokes. <laughs> but um, and he he will come in uh, with a with a real zinger and so like obviously you've been working with kevin conroy as well for you know probably as long as any any batman and robin pair have ever worked together and so do you ever sort of look at the comics and go like you know one day one day i'm gonna have your job like how does he take that well you mean because uh uh nightwing becomes batman you mean yeah yeah uh well i i i I was always hoping that they would do a animated version of nightfall because i think that's you know seeing that transition where we're uh Nightwing becomes Batman. Uh, yeah, I would love to play that. In your opinion, how like how would it maybe how would Batman be slightly different maybe if if your version of Nightwing was playing him? Well, uh, you know, it's very much they have a very very much a father son relationship when when Dick Grayson is Robin, mm-hmm. and uh, Batman is always you know trying to really set him straight and 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 make sure that he he uh, he he, he uh, does things the way that that Batman wants it to, and that's where the This movie, like you get what I think are some quite comic moments. Um, yes. Yeah. Do you sort of enjoy having the chance to be like the the sort of fun and light one, or do you ever wish you could get some like really sort of gritty 
brooding stuff. Well, um, the, in the new movie, the, the the tone is not not brooding and 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 overly dramatic. <laughs> uh, it, it's, uh, it's 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 uh, it's really an action film. I mean, it's really an action film. Mm-hmm. The, the the story keeps moving, and there's not a lot of time for people to stop and and contemplate their inner tor- turmoil <laughs> the way that perhaps uh, you know in a TV show. If we did a TV series again. You know, they would be able to explore that on a on a on a on a episode by episode basis, which I mm-hmm. think would be a great idea. It'd be yeah. wonderful to have a Batman and Nightwing show again, and then and then they could explore all of that. But I I really enjoy. I mean, comedy was always my 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 main thing, and uh, I I like the fact that I get to do do that in the new film. Mm-hmm. I was just gonna say, Dick Grayson always had some great one-liners and zingers in the old old show and mm-hmm. so they could they, now he can do even a lot more than that in, this, in the movie version what were your feelings when they told you they were sort of bringing it back and doing it in the kind of old animated series way well, it came as out of the blue as a big, big surprise to me and i was i was thrilled i could just got a call and they said there's uh you know uh, a reteaming of, of batman and nightwing and harley and and uh will send you the script and I read it and I thought wow this is terrific and um, I was very excited about doing it <laughs> and so what what do you think it is about that cartoon specifically that's kind of stuck with the characters because I mean in many ways it's still the definitive animated version if not one of the definitive ever so I, I'm always told that the um, you know the conventions that I go to uh, Kevin hears this all the time too is they, that people say when they read the comic books or they see other uh, versions of Batman and Robin, they, they still hear our voices in their head, which I think is very <laughs> flattering, you know. Mm-hmm. It's very, very nice to hear that. Um, so, you know, this, this, this film, this film recaptures that for people. I mean, now they don't have to imagine, they don't have to imagine <laughs> Kevin and I doing the voices. We actually are doing the voices again. You don't have to imagine it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, so that was James chatting uh, with Nightwing. Um, I'll look forward to listening to that because uh, we didn't hear it now. What just happened, listeners, was the magic of editing. Um, but what we'll do now is we will, you know, we've built up the tension enough. We'll move on to our spoiler-filled discussion of John, oh no, John Watts, he doesn't exist, of Mark <laughs> Webb's 2014... I'm not sure Mark Webb exists. <laughs> Mark Webb definitely exists uh, for, for worse and for worse. Mark Webb's 2014 movie, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Let's take a listen to the trailer and find out some of the untold secrets of Spider-Man. Every day I wake up knowing that the more people I try to save, the more enemies I will make. And it's just a matter of time. Before I face those with more power than I can overcome. I'm so sorry, I'm late. I had a traffic thing. Did your traffic jam have anything to do with being, I don't know, shot at by machine guns? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was implying. That was implying that. Peter <laughs> Park. There he is, boy. You're gonna wanna see this. Oscorp. Yet you under surveillance. Why? Isn't that the question of the day? 
there's something you're not telling me, Aunt May. I once told you that secrets have a cost. The truth does, too. My name is Richard Parker. I have discovered what Oscorp was going to use my research for. I have a responsibility to protect the world from what I know they're capable of. What is all this? The future. We literally can change the world. What about Peter? Not everyone has a happy ending. This is bigger than you, Peter. I made a choice. This is my path. Soon, everyone in the city will know how it feels to live in a world. Okay, guys, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, I just wanted to start this off by saying I know I got irate on our Amazing Spider-Man episode. And I think the reason that happened was because somehow that film has a reputation of kind of being, yeah, it's not good, but it's not it's not horrible, is it? It's not great. And I think my point was there, like, just look at all the aspects of that film in a little bit more detail and look at how little they make sense and look at kind of what an asshole this central character of Peter Parker is and look at kind of all of the, the, the threads that are left dangling that don't really work. And when you when it actually comes down to it, is this not a massively incompetent piece of cinema is it not one of the worst superhero movies why does it have anything like a passable reputation and i think partially the reason is because the amazing spider-man 2 exists and while the amazing spider-man has this kind of respectable veneer that you kind of you peel away the surface level competence and discover (laughs) the horrors within the difference with this movie is that it lays it all out up front. It goes, whoa, we're bad. This is bad. That's bad. That's bad. This is bad. Look how bad it's we are. It's just as bad as the first film. It's just up front about it. And do you know what? I, I respect I think... that honesty. I do respect that honesty. It's, I, I remember sort of when this came out, and there are, you know, there are elements of this that were talked about as being... Uh, having that that level of surface competency and Which it ones? surprised me going back to it a second time how few of those there were yeah. like basically it only boils down to and we are going to get straight into spoilers but oh no yeah we don't do a spoiler free section it's yes. fine um you know the bit where gwen dies is quite nicely shot yeah, that's like, that is yeah. literally the only moment of competency yeah. in this when, film when because i saw it when I saw it in the cinema, that was the one part of the entire film that actually elicited the correct emotional response. Hmm. Oh, no, there's one other moment. It has, it, it, And even that, I don't like the Gwen moment because I don't think this film should have done that. Nope. This film has one moment and one moment only that I like. And it's when Peter webs Gwen's hand to the police car and she shouts Peter uh-huh. yes. and then realises and covers her mouth. It is the only, And you, you made a noise on your bell commentary, James, when that happened. And you were like, oh, that's quite good. It is the only only moment in this film that is not 
wretched. And the other thing about this, this is like we don't need to go into it too deep on this podcast because we went into it on the first one. But one of those surface level things of competence about the films were Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone undeniably mm. have lots of chemistry. I think. Andrew Garfield is saddled with such horribly unlikable, like angsty asshole of a character that his performance—you can't come out of the film going, Andrew Garfield. His, is good yeah. at this. he's not. Exactly. He's not. But Emma Stone <laughs> is. Emma Stone is charming, and the reason that moment at the end gets the correct emotional response is because we're all going. No, fuck, that's the only character that we like. That's, she's the only character who has a real life, who feels like she's a real person, who, like, why could kill anyone else? Just not her. That is, this, um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I feel comfortable in saying that I, I honestly believe this is the worst film we've covered on this podcast. And I even include wow. Man of Steel in that. And I even include Howard the Duck in that. Man of Steel's really because, good, so obviously that doesn't... Well, no, but the thing with Man of Steel... <laughs> and right, this is rare, okay? I'm, I'm going to say something nice about Man of Steel. I, I loathed Man of Steel the first time I saw it. I still didn't really like it when I rewatched it for the podcast. But at least when I rewatched it, without a lot of the baggage that made me loathe it the first time, I was able to at least appreciate... So some of the things that it did right. Um, and that's happened with other films where we've looked back on them. Daredevil's another good example as well. You know, we with these, when we look at films on this podcast that, that don't have a great reputation, I like to think we at least try to pick them apart and see what works and maybe reevaluate them a bit. Yeah, and well, certain we had fun films, with Fantastic Four, didn't we, I think? Yeah, I mean, I, well, I, I really like that film now, actually. And, you know, and there's other films that I'm looking forward to doing where I think we'll do that with. I, I mean, okay, I was going into this with an attitude of, Haha, we're going to tear this apart on the podcast, it's going to be a lot of fun. I was not prepared for how much less I found of worth in this film than I did the first time I saw it. And I already hated it the first time I saw it. But <laughs> yeah, this think... film is just, it's, 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 it's morally bankrupt. <laughs> it's, it's the absolute opposite of everything that Spider-Man stands for. It is structurally abysmal it is rooted in a lot of things that were infecting movies really badly at that time and maybe to an extent still do and like all all else i could really say about it right now is just that i think the most accurate title for this film would be the fucking <laughs> too <laughs> that's how much i hate the character in this film. Did Zebra drop a C-Bot? Zebra oh, drop was... Wow. He invited all of the C-Unit around wow. to play. <laughs> yeah, the difference between this film and a film like Man of Steel, there's, like, a film like Man of Steel, really it, whether you like it or don't, yep. it has a base level of artistry that is, you know, like, there is good filmmaking on show there, even if it's not in service of a story that you particularly like or a take on the characters that you like. And I think that Man of Steel is a movie that achieves what it sets out to do. It's setting out to do something that I don't particularly like, but I think it knows what it, it knows what what its take on that character is, and it sells that take. I think the Amazing Spider-Man films. In fact, no, I know the Amazing Spider-Man films want you to like Peter Parker. They want you to think he's cool. That's a mistake to begin with because Peter Parker shouldn't be cool. Like, and that's I think like this character kind of thinks he's got. He's already kind of above everything and above everyone. And I think the film, I think the film <laughs> thinks, oh, everyone, well, everyone likes Peter Parker. Like we all, the we all film. like this guy, and you, and you don't. And I think, like, I, I think even by the end of this film, you're like, 
But midway through this one, you're like, yeah, Gwen, go to Oxford. Just... <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the film literally opens with him above everyone. Like, he's in the sky and he's falling down. It's all about um, entitlement. And it's this, you know, it's basically about he's spider-man he's great he can do what he wants he's you know he deserves this because he's spider-man and he's awesome and he's special because he has special magic blood that his father gave him and that's why he's a superhero it's just it's it's just unbelievably rooted in this horrible entitlement culture and what it results in is a Spider-Man who is a bully and who punches down. And that is the worst thing about it, is the fact that this is a film where Spider-Man is the bully. And that is like, that is the most fundamental rule you can't break with Spider-Man. Like, for me, the the worst thing about the character, and the thing that illustrates, like, everything he gets, that Mark Webb gets wrong about him, is when he's talking to Gwen and she's like, have you been following me? And he kind of sheepishly admits, like, yeah, I've been, you know, I've been following you around a bit, keeping my distance. And she's like, that's so sweet. And you're like, fuck off. Like, women don't like you stalking them. Like, no one likes being stalked. Like, what the fuck are you... Yeah. How are you playing this as, like, a meet-cute moment? Like, no. Yeah. Reese, hmm. I think, uh, knowing you, there is nothing that you would have liked more than to have rewatched this film and gone... Actually, yeah. you know, <laughs> I was ready. and I can come in and I can kind of like poke at Seven James and Joe and go like, I might still do that. <laughs> <laughs> but so, like, what, what was what was your takeaway? Is it is it, is it as uh, vitriolic as Seb's, or is it just? Um, I, I, it was, a, it is a lot crapper than I remember it being. Sure. <laughs> I just, I thought my 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 conclusion was that this is like, you know, Spider-Man movies are hard to do, hard to get right. I think, you know, talk you guys just two weeks ago talked about Homecoming. That movie gets so much right, but it gets bits and bobs wrong. It's you know, it's a uh, such an iconic character, so many different aspects. It's uh, you know, I think it's it's hard to do those movies right. Um, but and this movie is like four is like four crappy Spider-Man films. <laughs> smushed into one like extremely fucking crappy Spider-Man film. Some of the morally, you know, morally bankrupt stuff. I, I just, I, I just, I, honestly, I wasn't sitting there thinking that stuff. And you know, and I, and I think I, I, I wasn't sat there thinking about the Spider-Man's ability. They've got the character wrong fundamentally. I think I just, I wasn't there with you guys on that. Um, but uh, I just thought it was. I almost think you, you are giving it too much credit to think that it's based on anything, on any like. On any ideas, on any thoughts, on any <laughs> culture, you know. I just sat it, there going, it has it has no theme, does it? No, at no. All. It's there's, there's no I sat there going, this is this is an episode of Dawson's Creek. This is an episode of, of, of crappy season three of The Flash. This is uh, you know a Spider-Man version of the Joel Schumacher Batman, and then this is Dane DeHaan sort of doing a remake of the Spider-Man three stuff. Well, so I did it's actually. Worse. Like it's just four crap. Crap movies in 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 one. I sat there and kind of like just for the first like half hour or so of the movie, just like went okay. So what what is the movie doing at any given time? The movie opens with a seven seven minute flashback scene of Richard and Mary Parker dying. Again, that was kind of supposed to be the plot that was really stripped back and cut out of the first Amazing Spider-Man film because they realised a it wasn't working and b the audience didn't care about Spider-Man's secret history because he doesn't have one. You've just made one up. Like that's <laughs> it, I, it, and it, it. Even after watching this film, you struggle to get like 
why do we care about this? It makes Spider-Man less interesting because he's the chosen, a chosen one. And ultimately, what does it do? It kind of, I think what it ends up doing is detracting from the Aunt May, Uncle Ben relationship. It totally does. I mean, I I joked on Twitter that I was going to, in the way that James did his ring a bell every time something bad happens commentary, I was thinking about doing a ring a bell every time they acknowledge the existence of Uncle Ben. Mm -hmm. And I think I would have rung the bell twice, maybe like maximum of three times. And I know you can criticise other Spider-Man films for maybe overly going back to Uncle Ben and the power and responsibility thing. But it all the importance of Ben to Peter is is stripped out of this film and like especially he cares when you've m- committed to doing that in the first movie yeah really and like that. he cares more about the fact that Captain Stacy is dead than he, he you know he keeps oh. seeing ghostly visions of Captain Stacy <laughs> and he has this obsession with his dad and it's like Uncle Ben is the most important character in Spider-Man's background. You know, I'm not saying you have to spend a whole film dealing with that, but do not try to replace him with Peter's parents because Peter's parents don't matter. They mm. do not matter at all. Their sole purpose is to not exist. <laughs> or, you know, and I'm sure there exists a valid take on this character where you introduce the idea of his parents and go, okay, well, Peter's, Peter's a guy who doesn't have parents. Surely that would hang over a teenage kid not having his parents there. Let's explore that. I don't think this conspiracy chosen one are, is the way to do it. You can, I'm sure there's a, there's like a comics writer who, I'm sure if you said to Dan Slott, look, can, can you come up with a story where Peter kind of finally grapples with the loss of his parents at a young age? <laughs> I Wait mean, until the recommendations. Well, that's <laughs> okay. there we go then. Cool there we go. go. Cool it. So I'm sure I'm sure that's possible to do. But the the way they choose to do it in this movie, and the way they kind of like ham-fistedly tie it into bringing Harry Osborn back in as a villain oh. and trying to establish this world of spin-offs, this Sinister Six movie that they were going to do. And I mean, we're going to get into it um, because of the Sony leaks, we know an awful lot more about the mm-hmm. way that this movie was put together than we do a lot of other superhero movies and a lot more about their kind of just let's throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. I mean, again, you remember the film that possibly was going to follow this was a sequel or a prequel that explored a young Aunt May as like some kind of secret agent in the 50s, 60s or 70s or something like that. Oh it's nuts. So yeah, but I mean, um, you look at the... You mentioned the Captain Stacy stuff there. Captain Stacy showing up. So we ended the last film with Peter making the most selfish decision he could make. The dad says, you're going to put Gwen in danger. Leave her alone if you're going to be Spider-Man. If you're going to be Spider-Man, leave my daughter alone. And at the end of the first film, he goes, no, I'm not going to. And it not kind of, nobber. and it's like a triumphant moment. Like it's a weird triumphant moment. You're like, yeah, he says, sometimes the best promises are the ones you don't keep. No, boo, <laughs> that's wrong. So then this movie starts with him having like being Spider-Man and seeming like he's, things are great with him and Gwen and they're fantastic for the first 15 minutes. And then suddenly he has another vision of Captain Stacy and goes, Oh no, actually, now I've decided that the guilt is too much, even though it wasn't before, and even though I screwed you over by not going to your dad's funeral and not being there for you in your ultimate moments of need at the end of the last film, I'm now going to dump you just as we're graduating. 
And then mope I don't know about you, but and as I... soon as you speak to me, I'm going to want to be back with you. <laughs> and then, but then I'm not going to be with you. And I, I, oh, you might be moving to England, so I'm going to maybe slightly selfishly torpedo your chance of doing that by randomly turning up to your interview and being a dick to the person on the desk. <laughs> like what? I, it's just you. You look at this character and go, "You're a selfish asshole." But also, the arc that you're that the movie is setting you on has there's no consistency consistency to it like we know for instance that mary jane watson was a part of this film because shailene woodley was cast and filmed <laughs> scenes and then nerds on the internet went oh she's not pretty enough to be mary jane and they cut her from the movie i mean that was something that soured me on this film before it even got around to it because that was one of the most crass disgusting things that I think a superhero movie ever engaged in. And also like, fucking Shailene, stupid, like Shailene Woodley's not attractive enough to play I a believe the logic a superhero was, movie. What I believe the, the logic was this actress is not pretty enough to be an actress. Yeah. <laughs> Shailene Woodley. It's insane. Absolutely insane. But yeah, I so mean, like you know, she was better off movie. out of it in retrospect. <laughs> yes. But, um, yeah, lucky escape. But you know, you kind of look at those great divergent movies instead. (laughs) (laughs) But you look at the inconsistencies with the Peter Gwen relationship in this film and go, well, yeah, probably because it was hacked to pieces from whatever they originally had. I mean, where do we, where do we think Mary Jane would have fit into this film, or do we know? Has it been discussed? Because I can't see. Maybe it's because this film has no coherent structure at all anyway I don't really see where she would have fit in no, to the narrative maybe really she's the pilot of the plane at the beginning <laughs> maybe that's how she I, I imagine she'd have been in between the breakup and the reconciliation like oh, as like you know you've got options there's this waitress yeah. I, w- I wonder as well I, I remember hearing that um, Felicity Jones was supposed to be in this as Felicia Hardy <laughs> but I, I don't remember her turning up so they, they must have put one. her she out as well it. she is in it <laughs> Yeah, what uh, for like a total of 40 seconds maybe yeah and and to be fair like doesn't make an impact with even the stuff she's given to like it's hard to believe that that character that performance would possibly lead to her being the black cat like it's just it doesn't... I, d- I don't think you can blame her for the performance i'm not sure she gets to speak a line of dialogue beyond like saying what her name is yeah she gets i mean she gets a couple of scenes i don't you know i think it's i think it's a little bit of both um but yeah, so to go back to this, to, to me kind of like going through what happens in the first half hour or so of the movie. So you get the parents flashback. You then get a chase scene in New York, which kind of incorporates Gwen into it because she's got her graduation speech. It, it's showing Spider-Man being Spider-Man. And then he bumps into Max Dillon for the first time, which I actually thought was one of the few nice moments of the movie. The first interaction between Max and Peter, I actually quite liked. And I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's a Spider-Man. It, 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 it gives you the sense that that kind of thing happens to him all the time and he has this nice little line that he rolls out to reassure people. That thing about, oh, you're my eyes and ears down here. It's <laughs> sort of, you can imagine that Spider-Man runs into a lot of people who just stand there and go, oh my God, you're Spider-Man. And that that's his <laughs> sort of celebrity way of dealing with them. And that's... Yeah, that's quite nice. It's also nice. Hey, there's there's two things. I yes, don't it's still it's still slightly douchey. It's what the sales. If, if Spider was like a, was like a salesy guy, that's kind of that would be one of his. Lines. Well, <laughs> so I think it leads into the thing. The thing that happens with the Max and the Electro relationship, or certainly when he's still Max before he becomes Electro, he's sat at home going, "Oh, Spider Man cares about me. Spider Man was interested in me. Spider Man needed me like that. Like, and for this guy who is clearly mentally ill." 
that seems like, you know, it's a nice little moment for him in his life. But when you're watching those scenes, you're going, yeah, but he doesn't. We, we're watching Spider-Man do all this other stuff. And we go, he barely cares about his aunt or his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And he certainly doesn't care about you. And so it, it's, I, I, every time it went back to the Max parts, I was just like, oh, this is so tragic. Because like, if that was Captain America in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, mm-hmm. you could imagine he'd bump back into him six months later and go, Max, my man, how's mm-hmm. it going? And, Peter, uh, and Peter's like... Peter goes, like, oh, hey, bud. Hey, yeah, hey I remember chief. you. Are you okay? <laughs> oh, you... You, How have you, you been since I last saw yeah, you? You're yeah, a bit, you're a bit bad now, so I'm immediately going to turn against you, start calling you Sparkles mockingly, and eventually kill you. Just flat <laughs> kill you. You poor mentally <laughs> ill man. I mean, that, like, that whole arc is the biggest thing that's wrong with the film, isn't it? Is that Electro is a guy who is like in distress and gets exploited by everyone, and all he needs is some guy to like genuinely care for him and be like, you know, simmer down. Let's talk this through. Like, you are a valid person, and it never comes. And no. what actually happens is Spider Man goes, "I'm I'm going to blow you up," and then everything will be solved. And they even drag Gwen into it because Gwen's another character who interacts with him and sees what a vulnerable person he is. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the film, is just assisting Peter in murdering him. Yeah. I mean, even, even the eels sort of exploit him, don't they? Like, <laughs> face. They, they see like that origin as well. That origin is straight out of a Schumacher Batman film. It's, like, it's, it's, it's exactly what happens yes. in Batman and Robin, falling into an uncovered open tank. And I actually feel like the Batman and Robin version is less stupid <laughs> because the Batman and Robin version isn't happening in a film that has the veneer of being a modern, this is like a, you know if superheroes really existed, Marvel-style movie. You know, Batman and Robin is a cartoon, essentially. And so while the the Mr. Freeze thing is stupid, it's also a scene where a security camera zooms in on Mr. Freeze's face Mm. after he's fallen in. So, you know, all all logic goes out the window. (laughs) This is supposed to... Be, there is supposed to be an element of this could happen. There's there's science with what happens to Spider Man, and you know it's all. And then, well, he, so he's climbing up on a gantry to plug in a cable. Why is it even his job to plug in a cable if he's a genius designer who designed something? <laughs> and why does he fall into an open tank of yeah. electric heels? Yeah, Ryan from the office. I think that <laughs> Electro's teeth smushing together is the bat nipples of this movie. <laughs> they're, they're, they're equivalent ideas, you know. Like this, could... is, this doesn't make sense. This is just sort of a just a <laughs> silly visual thing. I don't know. I gotta say, I don't actually, I don't hate the visual idea of Electro. It's a, it's a take. It's fine. Um, and I actually think Jamie Fox is good in this movie. Like he, it's a cartoon of a character. It's, it's a full-on like comic book character that he's playing. It's not a real. It doesn't feel like a real person, but I think he elicits genuine sympathy when he's Max, and I think he makes Electro as cool as he possibly could when he does go supervillain. Um, but I mean, even that he's set up during that first act as the big deal. So again, I'll go back to that opening half hour. We after graduation we have he's suddenly splitting up with Gwen and then we have a montage of Spider Man in action and then we have Spider Man chatting with Aunt May so when we're now after twenty minutes back to the secret origins of Richard Parker stuff we then have a flashback to his parents 
We then go back to Max for the first time, and then half an hour in, we meet Harry Osborn for the first time, who, spoiler alert, is going to be the focus of the second half of the movie, but we haven't met in the first half hour. And it's after that that Max transforms, and then it's only after that that Peter actually meets Harry for the first time. And I want to help him because he's my best bud. But it, what, what do you mean? He's a guy who you haven't seen in five years. Well, uh, or if you're telling us you're both 17 or 18 years old. Like 37. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Yes, we just hit puberty 19 years ago. Even, when, even these two guys who, like, who used to be friends, within two conversations, they're both complete dicks to each other. You're like, you guys aren't friends. One of, my, one of my notes here is, uh, quote, it's good to see you, man, and in quote, yes, it is true, we are old friends from before. You were there for me when that thing happened, and yes, I am here for you now. And then I wrote, this is literally Dawson's Creek, that's my next note there. Because that, that, I think that, especially the Peter Gwen stuff, is, is just, it's just like teen, it's just teen well, it's drama. They're, they're, all all of those scenes, they're trying to do a mumblecore film. Like ev- everything that happens with Peter and Gwen and with Peter and Harry are just these scenes that are, just feel like they've been parachuted in from another film <laughs> and don't have a script. Well, yeah, again, those. Are, I mean, if anyone hasn't listened to James's Patreon Bell commentary, um, most of the time that James talks in that commentary is to utter the words "write a script," <laughs> and it's just, oh yeah. It, I mean, it, essentially, it, you get all these scenes where. Th- characters are just kind of talking at each other and they're not having a conversation because mark webb has gone okay you want this you want this improvise and they're not listening to each other because they're too busy Mm. thinking what can i say now and like (laughs) they come out with some absolute incoherent nonsense that means nothing the worst one for me is uh, when peter is trying to do his laundry and aunt may won't uh, and it yes. goes on for a solid 30 <laughs> seconds longer than it should. And you achieve nothing by the end of the scene. And d- yeah, in fact, what you achieve is making everyone go, this, those two people would not exist in real life because <laughs> neither of them would have had that conversation and not been like, you are ill, let me call a doctor. <laughs> you are ill. <laughs> uh, so I said I wanted to talk a bit about some of the behind the scenes stuff that happened on this movie. And um, I'm not going to go into everything. If you want to, if you want to, it's all over the internet now. If you Google like amazing Spider-Man Sony leaks, all of those leaked emails, um, the morality of accessing them, you know, judge me. But I accessed them. I read a bunch of them at the time. Are we more morally bankrupt than Spider-Man is in this film? I think Mm. not. Um, Pascal. And... (laughs) I think no email <laughs> exemplifies quite how bizarre the Sony development of this film was. As th- this random guy who was working for Sony who decided to email Amy Pascal with some of his thoughts for what they could incorporate into the movie. And this was forwarded on by Amy Pascal to someone else um, at high level saying, love this. So this is the kind of thing that actually gained traction. And I'm just going to read this out verbatim, but honestly, it's worth it. Hey, Amy. Just a couple of rando thoughts from 35,000 feet LAX to JFK. Boo, I'm out, I'm out already, I'm out. A rising trend we see with millennials... <laughs> a rising trend we see with millennials are the really extreme forms of experimental exercise like Tough Mudder, a sort of filthy triathlon, <laughs> the colour run, and even things like hot power yoga, veganism, etc. <laughs> 
Millennials will often post NBD on their social media after doing it, as in no big deal. Also known as the humble brag. Wondering if Spidey could maybe get into that in some way. That's not what a humble brag is. (laughs) He's super athletic, bendy, strong, intense, and it's all NBD to him, of course. Next point. EDM. Electronic dance music. You'll notice notice this is something that definitely made it into the film. EDM is the defining music for millennials. Wondering if there's an EDM angle somewhere with Spidey. His His movements are beautiful. Would be awesome with a killer DJ behind it. Next point. Snapchat just launched a story functionality, which is sort of a day in the life of me told in a series of Snapchats that expire after 24 hours. It has a very VIP quality about it, since invitation only. Getting invited into Spidey's Snapchat circle would be huge and very buzzworthy and cool. Um, and, well, uh, and that's the opening scene of Spider-Man. Yeah. It's just... And then he goes into I mean... some thoughts for American Hustle. But, like, I mean, we're, we're not... EDM no, stuff we're made not... it in there. It mm. made that email mm. influence... The, that could have been the email that decided Electro was the villain in this film. He's the dubstep. He's what, the dubstep bad guy. What on earth is going on in that scene where Electro is with Spidey in New York, and in the background the soundtrack's going? Oh yeah. Electro, what you gonna do with Electro? And he goes. I can't. When you pick up on it in the background, you're like, what? Is that talking? Is that in his? I mean, what's? Oh, Gwen Stacy's dad again? Is he got is he a ghost talk- now? Yeah, who's talking to you? Is it is probably, yeah, no, probably Gats and Stacy? It is just the most cas- catastrophic <laughs> soundtrack decision ever made. But that, 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 that whole email sums up the film because like you know, we're we're not naive, right? Hollywood mm. movies are a business. You know, they're not just art, they are a business. And movies have to be marketed and you look for angles to market a movie and you know Movies like this are franchises, you know, they are cinematic universes. Hey, that's the name of the podcast. Um, you know, we understand that at some level, decisions are made when making movies like this that, you know, they have to sell toys and they have to sell fast food and they have to sell themselves and, you know, all of that. But this, I can't think of another film that is so much just entirely built around marketing decisions um because the entire structure and setup of this film this film only exists to set up a load of spin-offs that is the only purpose to this film there there is no nobody wants to tell a story with this film they just want to get the franchise to the point at which they will be able to make a sinister six movie and a venom movie and a Green Goblin movie and whatever the hell else they wanted to do plans for any of yeah, them that's something you know, that was also clear and I, and I know that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is an, is a franchise and is entirely rooted in business and making money, but it, it has done so by also making creative decisions and wanting to tell stories on an individual basis. You you put the two together. You know, if you just tell stories without business, no one's going to see them or, or hear them or, or whatever. You can just you, tell you business without stories and you can have the emoji movie, yeah. Hey, <laughs> and, well, James! Yeah, but I would put this film on a level with the emoji movie because I <laughs> don't feel that it exists for any other purpose other than to be a marketing vehicle for Sony. It's just... Oh, same company as well, right? Yeah, funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you, I mean, 
especially again 35,000 feet Richard and Mary Parker you've got to get that Sony Vio laptop oh my god <laughs> uh, one of my notes is wait which which laptop brand do the Parkers use again I've, I've forgotten that <laughs> they def- at least they dropped Bing for this I was going to say at, le- at least we don't have it binging in this one <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised that the uh, maybe just because they were fried but I'm surprised the uh, mechanical web shooters weren't uh, Sony branded great <laughs> <laughs> I mean, man, do we spend do we spend a lot of time trying to fix those web shooters and then not caring about it for the rest <laughs> of the movie really until them, but, yeah. until Gwen goes, oh hey, do you know what? I I think I fixed it in thirty yeah, seconds. <laughs> I I feel it was a really important it was really important that this film show us that genius Peter Parker um, doesn't know how to like get a battery working and you know spend about 20 minutes of the film's running time worrying about his web shooters not working that was get, a really important plot element that I'm I get what they're trying to do with Gwen and I get I, I think there is there's certainly some stuff in that final act like you said Peter trying to attach her to the car and leaving her behind and her then going no screw you and literally saying out loud I make my own decisions which I think is partly to absolve Peter of guilt by the end. I was going to say, yeah, that that that's just the film absol- absolving Peter of the fact that he's completely responsible for the fact that she's dead. Having her say a line of dialogue, "This is my decision. I'm here because I want to be." Yeah, that is that is bullshit excuse I making. I, 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 I agree, but I do think they're also trying to make some conscious effort to make Gwen Stacy a <laughs> Have character some agency. who. Yeah. yeah, to have some agency to, to be clearly a an impressive character within her own right and have like, something to contribute within her own they right. They wanted her to not be fridged. Yes, but they they failed. They, they, they but failed. they failed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can I just another another great moment for genius uh, Peter Parker in this movie when he googles the phrase "What is Roosevelt?" <laughs> <laughs> and is surprised. But it's like, oh, there's a load of links here for the president. That's wow, wow. This is crazy. Why would you, you know, Roosevelt plus you know New York science? Like, well, no, just what is Roosevelt? Why are saying in quotes? Spider-Man is too millennial to know, to know how to use <laughs> Boolean searches. I'm more of a Clinton guy. Come on. Can we talk about? where all of the Richard Parker research stuff leads it leads to us finding out like the twist would be I think with Peter's dad would be oh no shit he was a bad guy like Peter is looking for this father figure that he never had and oh no he was a bad guy like he was working with Norman Osborn but so the, the, the reveal is Oh no, Peter's dad was doing the right thing all along and it was only the evil Osborns that were, were doing bad stuff. And Peter's research leads him to find a secret subway station underneath New York that is this high-tech lab that just doesn't... It doesn't make any sense and it doesn't really lead to anything other than the fact that Peter finds a video of his dad there explaining the situation I just I it boggles my mind how that stuff after they cut it out of the first movie made it into this one and I also like how uh, Peter's mother is completely irrelevant <laughs> she's just she's just I, and she was there too she also died she got shot in the stomach fairly swiftly uh, by the world's most incompetent assassin Yes. Yeah, there's almost two, has two people yeah. in a plane with a pilot and a gun and he can't <laughs> kill them quickly enough to stop them doing the thing he was supposed to stop them like doing. Like a science dork and everything. Like You should be able to take out a science dork <laughs> and a woman trapped in a, in a cubicle. Like You yeah. should be yeah. fine with that and a parachute. <laughs> yeah. it, says, no. it says a lot when I think that Iron Fist did it better. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. 
Oh. Crushing indictment. Yeah. Can we just? Can I just say a, a positive thing? And yes. We, so uh, we've been negative because this movie is like you know a pile of garbage. But uh, we said there were two good. You said there were two good moments from earlier. The you know the knock on the old knock on the old head, uh, and that good line from Gwen. I think there's a third good moment that I quite like. It's that scene. Um, I think it's like the second or third Aunt, Aunt May scene. Where there's a bit of emotion, there's a bit of Sally Field being emotional, and he's like, "I do, I, I yeah. do love you, Aunt May, but you need to tell me." I, I just thought that I, I, I did feel genuine. I just wrote the word emotion, I underlined it there. I, I, can't, I can't really, I'm not really going to justify it other than thinking that was my third scene I like in the movie. Sally Field performance. Yeah, she's good. Yeah. Sally Field is amazing. Emotion, yes. But I don't, I, st- I still don't think the character works. I, I think it's oh, no. a long way the worst Aunt May. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I agree with that, but at the same no. time, there's so little of her in this film, and the first one, it's hard to argue too strongly against it. Yeah, I, I think. I think you just. I think again, it's just another character who comes into the vicinity of Peter, and you just end up feeling sorry for her. <laughs> that she's got to deal with this dickhead. Well, yeah, like she said about like I'm working this second job to send you to college, and you're like, oh yeah, and he doesn't care. And like, yeah, <laughs> and that I mean, the, the weird yarn, the, and actually building the yarn wall was was something else, wasn't yeah. it? Like, <laughs> not even to tear it down, like like nine years yeah. later. Or well, this. Will this severely hurt my Aunt May's feelings if she, for instance, enters the room at any point ever and sees it like that? Massive map of, these are all the people I care about in my life. Oh, hi, May. No, you're not here. You're you're in the other room's uh, wall. Yeah, no, it's in the garage. Don't worry about it. It's fine. I think it's just, it's such a bold take on a superhero to say, what is his defining characteristic? He is compulsively self-absorbed. Like, he, at no point cares about other characters more than he cares about what's going on with him it with with Gwen Stacy it isn't concern for her that leads him to break up with her it's the guilt of him keeping see mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN the visions of Captain Stacy, <laughs> yeah. and then and like we said he doesn't stick to it every time he sees her 
He is trying to hook back up with her. He wants to torpedo her plans to go to England. He kind of like, at the end, he's like, uh, yeah, I'll come with you. There's crime to fight there. Which again, kind of betrays his actual commitment to being Spider-Man. Because it doesn't, it doesn't every, any time seem like he cares about being Spider-Man. He's not doing it for the people. It, it feels like he's doing it because he, he thinks it's cool he enjoys to swing it. around. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> and in, in a completely different... A completely different way to the Tom Holland Spider-Man yeah. having fun as the character. There's, um, there's at least the sense there of like, yeah, this is really fun, but also I kind of feel like I've got a duty. I kind of want to do good in the world. This Peter Parker just wants to swing around and go, woo! He's a pathological just, um, psychopath. Yeah. Just back on the, the interconnected wall, um, I'm going to I'm gonna credit um, our former guest, Andrew Ellard, and his tweet notes for this one. I mean, there's, there's a few points that, that Andrew made that, that I fully agree with and that I've probably voiced on the on this pod already. But the, the thing with the wall of interconnected people and all of that, earlier in the film, Max has a wall exactly like that, and it's used yeah. as kind of, her, her, this guy's crazy obsessive. <laughs> Look at him, let's laugh at him for being a crazy obsessive guy. And then Peter has one later in the film, and like, he's the hero. But the, there's, there's just... probably some. There's probably some. <laughs> there was probably some thought synapse in Mark Webb or Amy Pascal or Andrew Garfield's head at some point during the filming of this, where that was an interesting parallel, and and the 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 final product yeah. might be be able to highlight that connection. I bet. I bet somewhere. <laughs> but what the you know the movie that ends up is just so fragmented that let's um, let's let, let, let's call them by their names. The 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 writers of this film, the the wonderful Roberto Kurtzman, uh, Roberto Orki and Alex Kurtzman. Oh, is it Alex. those? Two lads. Alex it's those lads. The yeah. guys who uh, fucked up Star Trek. No. <laughs> Can I talk about something we haven't talked about yet, which I think is hilarious that we haven't talked about yet. We've talked about this movie for 40 minutes. Is like, we haven't really talked about Spider-Man. <laughs> or the bit because... where Spider-Man is in it. Because you know why? Because he's not in it that much. Because, because he's, he's doing anything cool. In this, but... I'll tell you what. I, the I, what I, found so bad, this, and I, I, I don't know if this is like perception of the film colouring it but again I remember before this film came out and then to an extent when watching it as well I thought one of the things it at least had going for it was that it does possibly the best movie Spider-Man costume in that it's the one that when you look at it on the posters and in still photos looks the closest to the comics like you know they've gone for a properly comics design they've given it the big eyes all of that Actually, watching it again in the film, it looks doesn't shit. Work. Doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't. It, it, I mean, it, it's it's supposedly comics accurate in that the design, the colours, everything. You know, it, it strips away all the nonsense from the first film. But in terms of how it's made and how it looks when he's moving, and especially how it feels and looks when he's talking to people from behind the mask, it feels like a dude in a crap cosplay yeah. costume. Yeah. It does not feel like a slick Spider-Man at all. Joe, and I was surprised was, by that because I didn't remember Joe, thinking that before. Joe was saying pre-show that you guys were going to be blind to its crapness because it looked <laughs> comics. You, you haven't played into that player's role. You haven't. Well done. No, it is, it, yeah, it's a, it, it, you know, as I say, put it on a poster and it looks right, but no, as a <laughs> film it's costume, it's dreadful. Whereas I would say that the, the homecoming costume is the opposite of that in that it looks crap like as a design but it does feel right when he's moving in it and the best one is the toby Maguire one which it is was, yes was was great all the <laughs> way along like and i think as well the fact there is something about this film which works against it the whole way through there's something about the kind of the way it's trying to tell the story the kind of approach to spider-man 
visually and kind of in the, the tone that it approaches, like the villains and the comic booky side of it, that feels in the same realm as what Sam Raimi was doing, but just a really bad version of it. Like, so I could imagine, like, you know, Raimi did some fairly, like, silly comicsy stuff for his villains gaining their powers at times. But he did it, he did it with style and panache and did it with, like, you know, like an actual story that he wanted to tell and reasons behind doing all of that stuff. And so I think watching the film, you get a sense of, like, this feels close enough to the Raimi stuff, but like a bad cover version of that. So it doesn't feel like its own thing. It it pales in comparison. And then so like you look at something as basic as when well, you say basic, as basic as the web slinging, the the flying around New York. And what Sam Raimi did was incredible to like literally hang the cameras out there yeah. and swing them through the streets and and, repli- <laughs> and thr- whereas he did it the hard way, and then you can see them making this one and go, well, we don't need to do it the hard way. We'll just CGI it, and, and we'll be fine. And we'll kind they of go after the kind of style of the web singing that he had. We'll mm. shoot it. We'll try and replicate the look and the feel of it but with a lot more business. So the camera will be doing this, and then the camera will be doing that, and Spider-Man will be, he'll be swinging, but then he'll just plummet and drop, and then he'll do this quick change, and it just, it it ends up feeling very, like, uh, there was there was something, you know, like the, the Superman, you'll believe a man can fly. I believed a man could swing in Spider-Man. <laughs> and, yeah. and here, I mean, again, we talked about in the first movie about the trailers kind of having that POV style, and even by the time the film got around to it, kind of abandoning it. Whereas this feels like even more nothing. It just they I mean they even you talk about like taking the easy way out for things. I didn't realise until reading about this. The even the big Times Square showdown was not actually shot in Times Square. It's all <laughs> green screen and CGI. And okay, lots of films do that kind of thing, but it's just I don't know, it's if you're gonna do it surely the point of doing a big showpiece scene in Times Square is go and Shoot it in Times I mean, Square. Captain America, feel like Captain Times America and Nick Fury went to Times Square. So. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't. It doesn't feel like the 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 kind of like the geography of the. You can see that they've got like the actual shops and the actual billboards there. See Disney Disney store in the background. A bit of foreshadowing there. <laughs> um, but yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like they're actually there. Like I don't know what that mm. that kind of well, like even stops them all getting electrocuted on. What what was that? The whole, oh, like, I love it! I love it when Spider-Man can move faster than electricity. By the way, oh. Oh. Yeah. he got bitten by an electric, electrocuted radioactive spider. <laughs> in its origin, like the whole sort of character of New York as well is kind of. This was a problem in the first film as well, where it just feels like a super generic city, mm. and like can, Spider-Man and you, in particular is a character who needs New York to function. And, like, and the f- especially the first Raimi film is so... New- and I know that's partly... A, 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 well, not post 9-11, because it was kind of made mostly before 9-11, but it's like, it's such a New York film. Yeah, and and al- al- almost of... to a cliched extent. We talked in about, didn't we, about like, but... the, the, the action sequence taking part literally on the bridge between Queens and Manhattan, kind mm-hmm. of like between the two sides of Spidey's life. And you see, you get the idea of this city kind of forming an opinion of of this hero having the bad press and again that's something that this film tries to do without actually including the bugle we get emails from J. J. Jenna Jameson mm. like 
it's it's just it's literally it's 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 a film that's trying to trade on your previous associations with a character whilst doing yeah. all the stuff again. Mm. So the and you never you don't believe it, and you didn't believe it at the end of the first movie, like even with the concept being done that all these crane operators are going to move their cranes. For something, you know, Spider-Man literally can swing down streets. He doesn't need that. Um, but like, uh, you you never you never believe in the people of this city that like, you know, at the end when it's like, oh, Spider-Man's been gone for four months, and what 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 do we do? Like, what is we we really want him back? You know, do you? Why? <laughs> What's he? He wanted me to just buy this grave. He's been there for four months. Just, hat, <laughs> just, just stood there. Well, at least he turned up to this funeral. Like, to turn up for old Peter. One, Gwen. Oh, Gwen. Uh, that, it just reminded me. We didn't. We haven't yet talked about the like action sequence where he saves a plane, or rather, where <laughs> there is a plane that doesn't crash, and it's because of him, but he doesn't actually know. I went back yeah. and rewound that scene to kind of work out what this stuff was. And I was like, why are there randomly two planes flying towards... Okay, so, so it's taking down the air traffic control. But what does Peter have to do with this? The electricity's got back on just in time. But, like, it doesn't... Basically, Emmy Pascal saw The Dark Knight and at the end of that went, what, what if we do that but planes? Ooh. Honestly, like, honestly, <laughs> I think I what up. happened is they looked at the electro sequence and went... Okay, in this sequence, he defeats no Electro, states. but he's not actually saving anyone. So they went, mm. let's insert Good some jeopardy up, by having these two planes that are going to crash and Spider-Man's going to save all these people, except he doesn't know it's happening. <laughs> and he, it's, he's never told. It's like, it's literally like four or five scenes that could be excised from the movie and not change a single thing about it. <laughs> And again, something that we've barely talked about. We mentioned Harry Osborn. We haven't really mentioned that the second half of the movie builds to the introduction of the Green Goblin, but not the not the Norman Osborn Green Goblin, the Harry Osborn Green Goblin, who turns against Spider-Man because Spider-Man won't give him his blood. He, he turns against Spider-Man for completely valid reasons. They, and this is one of the film's biggest problems, is that the, the two characters, with the, except, well, with the exception of Gwen, the characters with the most reasonable points of view are the two <laughs> villains. Yeah. Because, because Electro is a guy that's been shat on by the world and, you know, something happens to him that gives him a power that he doesn't want and he lashes out when he gets attacked. Hmm. And, okay... Maybe the normal way of doing things is not to go flying around on a glider and kidnap your friend's girlfriend, but you know he has been driven mad by this illness that he's got, and and his anger at Spider Man is completely justifiable. And it and it and especially breaks, when he figures out that it's his, that it's it, his best friend that just won't help him because yeah. it might be dangerous. And again, I could kind of understand it if they went if. Peter had already gotten to the bottom of all of the stuff going on with his blood or whatever, or having any idea that there was something weird about something special about his blood. And so he could go, look, Harry, this is not why this thing worked. It's because it was my dad. The thing is, the time time that he says no, he's got no reason to think that it wouldn't help. But the thing is, even, even if he thinks it won't work... As, I mean, Harry even says, it doesn't even say something like, what's it going to do? Kill me faster. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, he's he is dying. Nothing is going to save him. Um, it, Peter is purportedly worried that it could make him worse. 
Harry has already accepted that risk and has said, look, I will take this chance. It's like taking an experimental medicine. You're like, look, I'll take the chance. It might kill me, but I'm going to die anyway. At least give me the opportunity. I mean, there's no... The only reason that Peter doesn't want to give him his blood is that he's worried that his blood will get experimented on and it'll come back to bite him somehow. I was going to say... It's, it's like, entirely it's selfish. There, There is a kind of subtext to the idea that maybe if he gives away his blood, people will find out who he is. And it's like... That's a risk Spider-Man would take if he mm. thought save he could save someone. If his, well. his best friend since yeah. childhood. And, like, it does kind of... I, th- I think it, it breaks how the Peter and Harry relationship should work if Harry has a completely justifiable reason <laughs> to hate Spider-Man. The point is, <laughs> Harry and Peter are friends and they have a strong friendship that gets put to the test by the fact that... Harry's dad is the Green Goblin. Harry believes that that Peter Spider-Man killed his father, and Harry is driven insane by the Goblin serum, and also has had drug problems previously. But that's you know getting into comic stuff, and you know we're not onto it yet. And that film has lots of problems, but I like that Spider-Man three, having spent the series sending Harry down that I hate Spider-Man, I have to kill Spider-Man route, ultimately does the Harry redemption thing because what overpowers it is the fact that Harry is Spider-Man's friend, and he discovers the truth of what's really happened and the fact that he's actually a good person deep down which i think is you know is key to harry osborne um you know is that he's not yeah, his dad, he's not that, his dad that, yeah yeah that ultimately is what wins out and that's what happens in one of the greatest spider-man stories ever which i'll recommend when we do spider-man mm. 3 i thought about it for this film but we're not doing it for this film um and the other, but, the other but, but in this instance them... he's he's right so it's like <laughs> you know you can't have that moment of oh actually i was wrong i'm not going to be angry at you anymore because he's right to be angry at him yeah and the other thing that makes harry sympathetic is that for Unclear reasons, Confior is dedicated to taking the company away from under him, despite mm. they're never seeming to it. Like, literally, it seems <laughs> like Confior is kind of continuing on the work of Norman Osborne, and that Harry would kind of be happy to continue on the work of Norman Osborne. They could quite easily work together and achieve their goals, but Harry gets locked out, so Harry goes and gets Electro to help him. Um, I've got to say though, I did enjoy like just a just a good old mustache twirling villain performance from Confior, who my boy from back in Thor, old, old Laufey there at it again. Um, I think he's up causing causing his trouble, isn't he? I, 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 I do, I do just like I, I like him here. I think it's a fun performance. Um, I mean, it is it's a stupid. It's a completely stupid character that makes no sense. <laughs> and the... another one of these random Oscorp employees who just has to be around. And like Professor Kafka is that as well? Oh, so Professor much fun! Kafka. So much fun! God, <laughs> that's a that that's was a, lippy. It's that's lip-gloss. a take, isn't it? Oh boy, oh boy! He is what he is doing there. I mean, I know James is going to have comments about Doctor Kafka, so I, I will leave this <laughs> to him in a minute. But all I'll say about that is I will also repeat what I said on Twitter. The moment that Doctor Kafka was on screen, even more so than the bit when. Um, Electro falls in the tank. That was the that was when this film really became Batman and Robin, mm. and that was when this film managed to be worse than Batman and Robin. <laughs> I would rather have been watching John Glover as Jason Woodrow at that point than watching this film's Doctor Kafka. It's so bad. But James, you're going to explain why it's even worse, aren't you? Yeah. Okay. So, like, I think it's fair to say that this film, like many superhero films, is short on female characters. Mm-hmm. So it intrigues me that they thought it would be a good idea to take an established female character, gender swap her to a man, and then based on that, 
give them like a comedy German accent and make them essentially a sort of mad Nazi scientist. Work for me. Work for me. <laughs> I mean, sometimes in, you like, just in the have a, you just have to find a way to get Martin so Sokas. Yeah. The guy who tends to just be so in like straight to DVD thrillers and that kind of thing. You've got to find a way to get him in your movie. Yeah, Martin, you can do a German accent and you can wear lip gloss. I'm in! <laughs> but like oh, in the comics, in right? In the comics, Ashley Kafka is a kind of interesting, complex character mm. who works as a psychiatrist with like these criminally insane people. And so this like, she's not she's a baddie, a, is she? Yeah, she's not a bad character. She is in every way an ally of a Spider-Man. And like... To take that character and just junk everything and essentially scorch the earth behind them. <laughs> like, it's just Holding. so wrong-headed. Like, it's emblematic of everything that's dumb about this film. Yeah. Is that they just don't give a fuck about anything they're doing. Yeah, it's like, I mean, the the Harry transformation, where he he takes, he has the spider venom, which, and then Confiore just runs away and you're like, okay, so but so what's your plan now? Oh I guess I'll I guess I'll jump into this costume that's here <laughs> that that apparently is gonna save my life. Could have put that on before. I could have yeah, put that on. Yeah, and that I know that this is the thing that I should be crawling towards. I mean I guess it's a, it's just dumb luck that he didn't put on the octopus arms or the <laughs> or whatever whatever the other things were. Black that cat around costume, this bust isn't really a fit for me, but okay. <laughs> jump off the building. And then you see that character and you go Oh, okay. Now that's a costume design fitting of this movie. <laughs> what a what a take! I mean, I think Dane DeHaan can be very good. Rishi were on our uh, Chronicle episode. Oh, I was yeah. one of our one of our most downloaded, no, one of our least downloaded episodes. <laughs> ever. Um, I'll take personal responsibility for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> as as the story goes, Reese, what do you want to talk about in the podcast? I've got loads of ideas. Uh, okay, which one of them would you want to do? I've changed my mind. I'm going to do Chronicle. <laughs> Okay, great. Reese, did you like Chronicle? I thought it was kind of boring, really, because I'd never, I'd never actually watched it. I just wanted an excuse to see it. Made in that shot. I was. Can I, was, I be the Dane? When you do Valer- Valerian, can I be? The, yeah, you can just be, like, be the Dane all our Dane Dehan episodes. Yeah. I, I, mean, I, I find, I find with Dane Dehan in things, I, I quite like this. him, but I'm never sure why. Is I think I like I liked one moment from him here, and it's the moment when he comes back in with Electro into the office with, um, yeah, when he comes back into the oh, office with, with Electro. And they fantastic take fantastic grasp of how of how hearts work. That was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just gets up and takes them downstairs. Yeah, no, no worries. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. Um, I, I, th- I think what I like about Dane DeHaan in this film is that he seems to be the only person in it who is not bothering to hide his complete disdain for everything that's happening around him. Like, he seems to know how bad the film is, so I think that's why I quite like him. Uh, I think I think that might be generous. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably back then when he thought he was better than all, than all that Hollywood bullshit. Cut to three years later, he's starring in that Valerian movie. He's like, oh, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to oh, Valerian. Now, I'm the, same. now I'm the same as what I thought was bad before. No! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, I liked his haircut. I liked his really stupid haircut. And then transforms back to normal by the end. It comes and yes. goes apparently. Yeah. <laughs> why that line? Why? Why did they need that line? You could have, could have had him in the kind of crazy goblin dress up. Yeah. Um, okay, I mean, I, I do, do. I do want to say quickly about Nor uh, about Harry Osborn. Sorry, is that once again he's the villain, but he's also the character in this film who is most bullied by everyone else mm. because, like, his best friend won't help him. His dad hates him. 
His colleagues hate him. Like, he is the guy who needs help and he can't get it from anyone. Yeah. And again, Spider-Man is just not not doing anything to mitigate that. Like, no. the only guy who he can convince to do anything for him is Electro. And they both get smashed out of their faces for it. <laughs> yeah, and I do want to talk about the the kind of the final action sequence, the final 20 minutes of the movie in general, because the rest of the movie's a mess. We we know the rest of the movie's, the, the movie's a mess. It feels like random plot lines cut together, things taken out, things put back in, and it ends up being just an incoherent jumble of three or four different movies. But by the time you get to that final showdown, you should be able to tell a coherent story from the start of that action sequence to the end of it. How on earth Electro and Green Goblin are never around at the same time during that final battle, I don't know. It's like, we'll just wait until Electro is killed. We've spoken about how kind of bad it is that Electro is killed. The the sequence is very bizarre. Again, the EDM kind of influence of <sighs> smashing I mean, there's a, pylons and... There there's a kind of trend in this in this genre for obviously for villains to die at, at the end. It, it does happen a lot, but it usually happens in circumstances where you know they are battling and then something happens or there's you know there's some kind of overload or or the villain overuses yeah, their powers. It's normally or, their or, you know, it's normally yeah. their own hubris that does it. And the weird thing is that with with a character like Electro, this film completely has the opportunity to do that. You know, it, it, what happens could happen as a result of Electro overusing his powers and trying to overload things and he just explodes. But the film explicitly has Spider-Man say out loud beforehand that his plan is to make him explode. And that is maybe, of all the baffling choices that this film makes, that is maybe the most baffling because it's premeditated. And I've never, I can't recall another instance with the possible exception of the Punisher of a superhero <laughs> film where the hero commits premeditated murder. Well, they both have skulls on their chest, just that Spider-Man's spider skull is really <laughs> <laughs> But so you, so you have that Electro battle, which, as we said, ends in him murdering Electro. And then Harry turns up because he's just been watching until then. He didn't he didn't you know didn't want to exploit all that fighting while Spider-Man was vulnerable and trying to like Yeah, he was like, no, let's let's see how this plays out. Yeah. So then he comes along and they have a bit of a fight, which again I kind of find the whole setup of like the location. The location's strange because it's a completely manufactured location for this movie. So it doesn't feel New Yorky in a film that is spending a lot of time going, what do the people of New York think about Spider-Man? Do the people of New York need a Spider-Man? We've got the plane stuff in there, which the planes seem like completely secondary and separate to him, but we do get to cut away to Aunt May, like, seeing the lights come in back on in the hospital. And, okay, so they've got the power back on, and so now Green Goblin's just turning up for a fight with them. But then they move from the electric the the pylons bit into like a clock tower, and is that is that because is that any kind of reference to the comics or whatever? Because Gwen, nope. So it's just it's just a location that they chose. There is, I think, I seem to think. I might, I might be giving it too much credit. I seem to think there is a kind of motif of time in the film. Is there? And maybe I. Like I said, I can't remember when you watch it. I guess. Yeah, yeah time passes very, <laughs> very slowly when you watch it. There are a couple of lines. And Gwen is running out of time. Yeah, there are a couple of lines I think that are about time, and I might be overselling it. 
Yeah. But I have a I have a vague memory of thinking, oh, that's why that's why they chose to set this fight during a load of clocks. I, th- I think I think there was a bit. I think there was a something happened where a guy was in a plane and he emailed Amy Pascal and said, "Millennials really like clocks." <laughs> they really so... like clocks. It's like kind of a vinyl thing, Amy. <laughs> Catch you on the flip side. <laughs> but let's let's talk about the actual death of Gwen Stacy. So, great scene. Anyone who's plugged into comics, to superhero movie news, to to superheroes in general knows that the costume she is wearing, because it was widely reported, you know, like, it, it was... I'd never read those comics, but I'd seen online. Gwen Stacy's wearing a, a costume here that's very similar to the one that she actually wears when she dies in the comics. In fact, it's the exact same costume. So as soon as you reveal that costume to a comics literate audience, they know what's coming. So you're just basically that entire final act is a procession towards when does Gwen Stacy die so everything else for me feels stakeless because the one character I care about I know is dying by the end of this action sequence and it's just like any any other film would surely somebody would have stepped back and gone everyone's expecting this so let's let's not do this (laughs) but then if you're part of the audience that's not comics literate and is just going, okay, Gwen Stacy's wearing a, a nice outfit there. She, she looks great. Great costume design, you guys. wonder what's going to happen Sorry, in this final sequence. people that are watching this movie? <laughs> great costume design, guys! But then at the end of that sequence... <laughs> no, it was, it was you guys. That's how you can tell it was Joe. <laughs> yeah. So, But when she, when she dies at the end of it, if you're just an average audience member, you must surely just be going, why'd you do that? Well, that's... that's yeah. That's come out of nowhere. Why is yeah. why is Gwen Because dead? there's there's just no reason for it to happen in this film. No, like it feels like it doesn't feel like the Peter Gwen arc is finished. If you are doing a, a if you are wanting to continue doing Spider Man films with Peter Parker in them, the best thing about your film is the chemistry between the two leads. Mm-hmm. Why are you Actually, doing this? And it feels like the only reason they maybe wanted to do it was. Ah, uh, let's get Peter onto Mary Jane. Let's let's introduce her next. <laughs> there's there's that. I mean, there's there's that. There's there's wanting. I do feel there is a sense of and okay. I'm I'm ascribing motives to a film I don't like, which is you know not always a good thing to do. But I feel like there's a sense of arrogance of this is a big iconic comics moment. So let's do this big iconic comics moment. Um, but I think as well, it's it's another instance of the film absolving Peter because basically. Both films have put Peter in this position where he can't be Spider-Man and be with Gwen. And so he makes the decision to stop being Spider-Man and go and move to England with her as they, you know, that's what, what Americans call Britain. Um, and so Gwen has to die so that Peter can carry on being Spider-Man, basically. That's, and that's it. So she dies because she's an inconvenience, essentially. So they they managed to find a worse reason to kill her off than <laughs> they did when they killed her off in the comics originally. But at least it has, you know, it has, you know, a long-lasting impact on Peter Parker and Spider-Man yep. afterwards. Yeah. What is oh, it no like? Wait. Two, three weeks? <laughs> so I think I think the idea is it's four months, they say in the film. Okay. But... In the course of the movie, it's four or five minutes, is it? Like, of screen time of Peter moping around a bit. As an audience member, I'm going, Peter's responsible for that death. 
He's Gwen was about to go to England. He'd been she warned was getting away from, away her. from the dickhead yeah. who's been ruining our life for the past year or two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's all well and good to say that Gwen made the decisions to come along at the end, but Gwen didn't need to make the decisions to go along at the end because she was on her way to England on her own, and Peter should have left her to do that. <laughs> so, so, like, I'm going. Well, Peter, you're you're the worst. You are responsible for this death. Yeah, do mope around. Maybe you don't deserve to be Spider Man. Don't do that anymore. Hmm. And the film, even within that five minute span doesn't stay focused on Peter. It cuts away to do Sinister Six teasing stuff for a sequel. It has that weird man in the trench coat turning up. As he, Mr. As, Poison or something? Mr. Mr. Fierce. Mr. Fierce, yeah. It's, it's like the film itself it's seems so utterly disinterested in the fact that Gwen Stacy has just died. We kind of get the graveyard scene where like Aunt May taps Peter on the back and goes away. And then Peter kind of mopes around angstily, which she did for the rest of the film anyway. He did that when she split up with him. There's no difference when she's dead or split up. All it is is, oh, I'm Peter Parker and I'm not getting what I want. And, <laughs> and then so within that five minutes of not all of that five minutes even being dedicated to Gwen, he then re-watches her graduation speech, which seems to have been written for a superhero who's girlfriend has just died and needs the inspiration to become a superhero oh, again. That's it. That's Rather the, than the, any plagiarising She plagiarised that off the, off the internet. Oh. <laughs> the speech is where she mentions time, that's it. Oh. Uh, yeah. Great. And then she... Yeah. Um, and, and then Peter goes back out to become uh, Spider-Man and it's sold as this big triumphant moment. And I'm watching the film going... No, there's nothing triumphant about this. There's nothing... You don't deserve to be back out there. You like I don't believe that you as a character are doing any good for this city. <laughs> and you watch you watch that final five minutes go, at least, at least dedicate this to the fallout of this huge moment, the moment that should be everything that your film is about, the death of Gwen Stacy. And the film doesn't doesn't even care enough about her to focus on her. So the end of the film becomes Tease for Sinister Six and a triumphant Spider-Man moment. Fighting the rhino. Stacey just died. You forgot about the rhino, Joe. Okay. Paul Giamatti. <laughs> and we haven't Giamatti before now. <laughs> <laughs> he's in this movie, guys. Beginning and the end. He's, and at the end, he's in the stupid robot suit. Because that's what the rhino is. No. <sighs> wow. <laughs> what if we had Iron Man, but it was a lot bigger and it made less sense and there were more guns and it looked a bit like a rhino and then that's what we'd make that for someone to wear? Yeah, I think it was uh, it was friend of the podcast, Simon Renshaw, who was posted on Twitter, gifts of Paul Giamatti <laughs> in the pre-CGI rhino costume. Um, and it's, it's he's just wearing a load of cardboard on his shoulders, basically, and... That's mildly amusing. I find it fascinating that actually, I don't know if you guys have read this, but um, his character in The Rain of Spider-Man, it's actually, it's a prequel to Billions. Like, that, that character <laughs> goes on to become the Billions guy. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Wow. <laughs> Drops the accent completely. Wow. Comes the hedge fund guy. <laughs> but he was going to be one of the Sinister Six. So they'd, they'd introduce what? They'd introduce Lizard, Green Goblin. Mr. Fierce. I, I don't know whether Electro would have come back, but maybe Electro. Black cats in there, sure. right? It, they've they've almost got a full Sinister Six in the course of these movies, and you care about none of them. 
These guys just want to. These guys just want to make a, like a Venom movie, don't they? You just they just want to make movies about the bad guys. You, even the end of Homecoming. Homecoming, I like, and I think in a weird way, watching home, uh, watching this after Homecoming makes me appreciate some a lot more what that movie got right. But the, you know, again, it sort of ends the same way a little bit. They're just set, setting yeah. up the bad guys. They just they're so Amy Pascal is just so it's intrigued a, by the villains. It's also like, it's a really crap way to do the Sinister Six because. What's the point of having if you're gonna right, if you're gonna do a team of villains that you've constructed yourself from the start, why would you have them be Doctor Octopus and the Rhino and the Vulture? It's like the all these disparate characters. Like the point about the Sinister Six is that they are all these weird, ridiculous, pre existing characters mm. who band together and make an unusual lineup of characters. Nobody would set out to create the Sinister Six beforehand. If you if you if you were like a, a ruthless corporation making a team of um supervillains, you'd brand them better than that, you know? <laughs> yeah. They'd have a so, uniform. But even like it's just sort the... of like the whole point of the like what makes the Sinister Six threatening is Oh look! It took him all this effort to defeat those guys on their own, exactly. and now they're all together. Yeah. And it's like if you do that to a second film, or second you haven't film, seen him like, fight them individually. Yeah, like, guys and it also means that you can't have them individually in afterwards. There's, Again, there's the no reason of, to be upset. The kind of stuff that was being thrown around behind the scenes, I would uh, uh, recommend the the website. The article that I found is on. Um, uh, something unfamiliar with but dorkly.com mm. uh, weird Fish. shit you didn't six bizarre forgotten revelations from uh, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies one email is a peach this was from Amy Pascal uh, talking about the way they were planning to uh, introduce Venom and bear in mind like Amy Pascal emails in all caps with spelling mistakes everywhere but <laughs> Let's talk. This is really similar to what Matt pitched me this AM about Venom, which he doesn't think is a movie on its own, but that's... But, right, this is brilliant. But that Spider-Man and the Sinister Six are the team in the next movie. Um, and Spider-Man goes to fight... Uh, goes to them for help, maybe fighting Carnage. But he's wearing the black suit, but all the Sinister Six guys think it's lame, and he takes it off and it falls into the wrong hands. So, the, the idea that Amy Pascal has here is that Spider-Man... He's just wearing the black symbiote costume because he thinks it looks great. And then the Sinister Six go, oh, your costume looks stupid. And he goes, oh, God, the Sinister Six are making fun of me. I'm going to take this costume off and leave it here. And then some bad guy picks it up and then to be fair, Venom. That is entirely in keeping with this series of films. If that had happened in Amazing Spider-Man 3, I would buy that. Yeah, and this again, is a I Peter mean, Bug who would care what the Sinister Six thought of him. <laughs> <laughs> all, all kinds of stuff that they were, these leaks are amazing. Casting suggestions for Doctor Octopus. See if you can spot a trend with these actors: Sean God, Penn, Denzel Washington, George Clooney, Daniel Craig, Colin Firth, Matthew McConaughey, Channing Tatum, Will Smith, Ryan Gosling, Matt Damon. The 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 common thread being there that yes, they are all actors. Um, <laughs> Sandman, <laughs> Channing Tatum, Woody Harrelson. Tom Hardy, Jared Leto, Jonah Hill, Sasha Baron Cohen, Javier <laughs> Bardem, Shalto Copley, Joel Edgerton, Jason Clark, Chris O'Dowd, Michael Peña, Seth Rogen, Danny McBride. Who are these people? Actors that they would like to have in the Spider-Man films, but they don't know what role they want them to play. Demian Bashir, Idris Elba, but only with his British accent, Francis McDormand, Jackie Chan, Brian Cranston, Ruth Wilson, Rose Byrne, 
again, that's coherent. If you actually read no, the emails, the way that they describe the, these people is like is incredible. Is there a place for Jackie Chan? How about the original bad guy, Walter White? Is he ever good in anything else? It's, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's Jackie one, Chan were just. Jackie Chan would be a great master of kung fu. They didn't. They really didn't know where they were going with this, though. They were literally just going, "We've got this IP, and we need to bring as much out of it as possible." But if you've got an, if you, if your approach is, let's stick things, let's throw things at the wall and see what sticks. An IP to use for that would be Spider-Man because he does stick to walls. Just, <laughs> I think that's worth saying. Also, you skipped over a bit in those emails uh, where uh, she said that she genuinely sent an email that Jared Leto could play Felicia Hardy. So I think that's in, that's in fact <laughs> worth. That's honestly, that's a real thing that I just saw a Joe Stoll pass. I don't think that was there. No, it was. Was it actually? It freaking was, yeah. It genuinely was. Uh, I'm just giggling because there's a picture of Paul Giamatti in his uh, Adidas tracksuit on screen. <laughs> it's hard to look at that character without laughing. Um, the one thing that, and again, this is going to be the last thing that I talk about from these leaked emails, but the one thing that does come away from this is that there was one person consistently talking sense in the year of Amy Pascal uh, she just chose not to listen and that was Kevin uh, Feige yeah. <laughs> so Kevin Feige was very involved with kind of like providing feedback from Marvel like this is a character who ultimately has the IP that belongs to us that we would like you know it, it's, we still produce comics we still get all the merchandising money we, we've got We've got opinions. You can choose to listen to them or yeah. not. Please don't and ruin w- Spider-Man forever. Yeah. And again, I'm not sure if you... Re- we mentioned this before. There was potentially going to be the Avengers Tower in this movie, uh, in the Amazing Spider-Man movies, and the Amazing Spider-Man... The Oscorp Tower was potentially going to be in the Marvel movies. It didn't work out. Obviously, after all of this went tits up, and after all these email leaks, Sony and Marvel decided to work out to work together, and that's what's led to this. I won't read out all of Kevin Feige's notes... But he went to watch the film and just see if there's any of these that you read and go, that doesn't make sense. That's that's something that Amy Pascal was right to ignore. There are too many storylines and we need to choose which ones we are focusing on and lift out the other ones. I.e., could we re- reduce the father arc just to Roosevelt? Just to the Google. Yeah. Could cut out the plane crash and Richard destroying spiders and start on an armoured car. Don't start with Spider-Man. Let the danger slash stakes to New York City build first and then have Spider-Man enter the scene heroically. Tone down the Paul Giamatti performance. He seems a bit more menacing and less cartoonish. No, so he wrong. seems more menacing and less cartoonish. I would say hammer up. He's not <laughs> far enough with that. If you cut Richard from the opening in the plane crash, maybe you can instead do Harry coming home and seeing Norman at the top of the movie as a cold open. Really love Electro. Feels like you may not need the scene in his apartment, which makes him seem completely crazy and hard to relate to. <laughs> like the idea that the eel goes in his mouth and instead of burrowing, you see it glow within, within him. You sick fuck, Kevin. You need to set up the power plant earlier, visually. Seems like the movie switches POV a lot. Why are we in Max's POV during the car chase? Worth looking at this playing out from Spidey's POV. Could there be a better way to reveal that Peter is missing graduation? Maybe when you cut to cut Gwen, you cut to the wide shot. Tiny note, don't think Peter would lie to Gwen about sirens. Maybe he just downplays it. And this that's like the and first bad stuff third of the about. notes. Some stuff too. <laughs> and like so you know, all of those things seem to make sense. And it seems like none of those things were listened to. <laughs> it's 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 bizarre. But I think I think what that also like underpins about Kevin Feige is that he knows how to make a Mar- fucking film. Well, he he knows how to do the the base level, the competent stuff, the like 
yeah, we shouldn't be switching POVs. And I think that's possibly the reason why Marvel doesn't always create the best villains, because most of the films are, sh- are from the hero's POV. And if you cut away, it's for something specific. And certainly if the hero is there in the scene, we don't cut away from their POV. You know, that's something that just like, that's that's the baseline competence that... That that's the formula. That's the formula that Kevin Feige brings to things. That means that every film, you know, no film is going to come out and be just an absolute honker. Yeah, like, that's why Marvel consistently makes three slash four star films. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and potentially when you bring in the right kind of artist to work alongside them, who has <coughs> some specific ideas, some exciting stuff to do, you get to see, you know, what James Gunn can bring to Guardians of the Galaxy, what Shane Black can bring to Iron Man 3, what Joss Whedon can bring to the Avengers, that kind of thing. Um, and when you get bland directors, you end up with films like uh, Captain America Civil War. So that's... <laughs> that's <laughs> and when you hire oh, no... Oh, Joe, when we were getting no so di- well with this one. <laughs> when you hire no director whatsoever, you end up with Spider-Man Homecoming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so um, I just think all of this information is kind of out there on the internet about the behind the scenes stuff. I just, if you're listening to this and think that sounds fascinating, go into, I've read out quite a bit, but go and find more of it because it it's really, really interesting. And I think some of the stuff that we didn't even get to see, like how, how did they decide to cut out Shailene Woodley from the movie? Because they announced it far in advance of the movie coming out that she was no longer going to be a part of it. And it did seem like it was in direct response to some of these like toxic assholes on the internet. And uh, I don't know. I, I just think there's there's a lot to dislike about this film in what ends up in the screen on the screen. Um intentional, unintentional, um but also kind of about the way the movie was made, and it seems like this is one of the most cynically made movies. Um and it's just it's, it's it's fascinating that one of the biggest car crashes in superhero movies we've got so much evidence of how it actually got that way it's 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 fascinating go and go and dig up all that stuff can we just pour one out though for andrew for poor old andrew garfield because i remember when he you know this is his this is his swan song as spider-man this what this incredible character that he loved so much i remember the I remember when he got unveiled as, as you know, Spider-Man. At Comic-Con and was doing oh, the, there in the suit. So and, cool, adorable. He clearly loves the character. And, he, and a proper, just, like an, an actor yeah. capable of performance, they, proper performance. And they had that connection with Emma Stone as the kind of emotional, you know, romantic relationship core in these two films. And, oh, they just, they just throw it all away. It's a real shame. It, he, he very quickly after this film came out acknowledged how badly it had gone like it felt like he turned on this film before it was announced that they were moving away from him he kind of went yeah I kind of signed up to make a different movie I had like the movie I saw when we saw the you know the final cut it could have been one of a million things that we'd shot and I mean I also I think from word from word go Mark Webb wasn't the right director for this um I don't think Andrew Garfield's the right actor for Spider-Man but I think he he could have act, he could have done a different you know he, he's a good actor yeah, it's the, I mean it's he's the character that's the that's yeah the I, I don't think it. there's anything wrong with how he plays the character that he's given in this film yeah. I mean I still um, do I still I still think I think he contributes to a hateful character um, but I, I, it's it's consistent with the way the character's been written so 
you, I, I guess you can't blame him too much, but I still can't say I mean, the thing, anything positive about the thing I think about Andrew Garfield is when he's in the suit, he is a good Spider-Man, but he is a rotten Peter Parker. No, I see. I hate this. I hate. Well, no, because like I think he gets the kind of light-hearted quippiness of Spider-Man. That the we, one thing that like we said this before, the thing that the Raimi version omits completely is the sort of you know excited, quippy joke. Yeah, but his his I jokes can, I, aren't funny. Yeah, his like, jokes are yeah, not, funny not funny at all. They're not funny. And I think there is a there's a mean spirited edge to almost all of Although, them. Although, oh, sure. I, I I I agree with you generally that I, he comes across as a quite mean spirited Spider Man. But you do at least get like you get in the first film um, a moment with him being quite inspiring to a small child, which is those kind of moments for Spider-Man in general are always something that I think are, are good when Spider-Man does them. And actually, so we, we can add that. Are we, are we up to four good things about this film now? <laughs> I, um, I, like, I don't really parenting. like... Why is that... Yeah, that well, no, the, no, no, the bit at the end. I'm not talking about the bit at the end. I think the bit at the end is bad. It's a, it's them trying to do a nice That's call. Back the first, and the it's first bad. moment with that kid. But the first moment where he meets the kid oh, is nice. Where he helps him put his science experiment back together. Yeah, because yeah, he yeah, sees okay. a kid being bullied, and he's like, "Hey, I understand what that's like. I bully people as well." So, <laughs> but I think there's a really good chance that, that that rhino fight ends with like the rhino exploding and a piece of machinery falling on that kid, <laughs> yeah. him because yeah. Spider-Man just, you know, this is what happens. He's bad. He's he bad tears the helmet off and like punches him into a pulp. <laughs> on on that last scene, um, it, it, in the great scheme of things, it's a minor thing to nitpick, but. The Rhino has a big mechanical suit with loads of automatic machine guns on it, and he's standing there blithely cutting people down with these guns, and he seems to not care about the fact that you know he could kill <laughs> like a shitload of people. Does. Yeah, and then this little kid comes up and and kind of confronts him, and and he stops, which is fair enough. You might think, okay, he's not going to just shoot a small child in cold blood, but then Spider Man turns up. And the rhino stops and waits while Spider-Man is there crouching down having a conversation with this kid and waits and watches and waits until finally, after about two minutes of conversation, Spider-Man turns around and goes, right, I'm going to beat the shit out of you now. At no point does the rhino point a gun at him and shoot him. I think that given the way it's just that silly. This is that's the final. <laughs> and I know it's a superhero franchise. film, but come on, that's the final moment in the franchise. I think the only reading we can have of that final scene is that one of those bullets gets Peter Parker in the gut. He dies. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Don't and don't ruin the, the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh dear. Well, okay. On that bombshell. Uh, we should probably get moving towards the pitch. Anyone, any, any final thoughts? Is there any... any we, we, we've talked this to death, haven't we? There are two mentions of dirty underwear in this film, and I, that is probably one too many for me. <laughs> just, just the one too many. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, only other thing... Um, for me, this movie is summed by the fact that, uh, you know, there's that gag where his ringtone is... Except you hear that ring another, like, five or six times. Like, that is, like, that is the thing. It's a kind of... An, it's, it's just... A terrible idea. Um, also, I kept on in my notes. I think almost more enjoyment I got from the whole movie is that in my notes I kept on writing Electra as Electoro, <laughs> and I've almost I've gotten more fun out of that than the movie. Um, so he I, sounds like, he sounds like a good potential future villain. <laughs> He's Electoro, stupid. <laughs> or oh, I got another. Um, uh, where is Electoro? I don't know why I wrote it like that. A, Put, a Putin-funded yeah. supervillain. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Reese, you, you mentioned off mic that you wanted to bring up the Oxford thing, which I will give this film credit for actually bothering to use the correct Oxford University logo on some on some wall hangings. So you know, fair play to them for that one. Yeah, that's that's as, that's as much mention as it needs to be mentioned. <laughs> it's very British. We're calling you from from England, darling, from the Oxford <laughs> University box, man. Come for some pies, like come on. And then there's that line. What's I wrote it down uh, in my notes? It says it's what it's my penultimate note. It just says tons of crime question mark fuck you come on I do I do like having lived in Oxford for what like three years I do like the idea of Spider-Man trying to fight crime in Oxford yeah (laughs) Yeah. nothing to swing on yeah just just like beard up students Gwen Gwen Stacy could get thrown off Maudlin Bridge (laughs) he webs her up and like (laughs) she's already standing in the river well don't ruin my pitch again story (laughs) okay Well, we'll move on to the comic book recommendations now. Uh, which of you is recommending me the comic in which Gwen Stacy dies? Um, I'll take that one. I am going to recommend you something else as well, but because it's only two issues of seventies um, comics, and you 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 seem to you always complain that old comics you um, don't take very long to read them. So, um, but yes, it's obviously it's Amazing Spider-Man issues one hundred and twenty-one and one hundred and twenty-two. Um, the the story of Gwen Stacy uh, being murdered by the Green Goblin. Um, I don't think you need to know anything else about them going in. Um, it obviously it's the culmination of a relatively long-running plot line, but you know that plot line. You know that Norman Osborn is the Green Goblin and, and knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Um, so the two issues stand alone um, quite well. But I I wanted to recommend you something else as well because there's only two issues there. Um, and I went looking back at the original Ultimate Spider-Man run um, because I like the version of Gwen that's in Ultimate Spider-Man. So I wanted to recommend you an arc with her in it, um, but not the arc where they kill her off as well. Uh, mm. She does come back, but she she gets killed off in the uh, Carnage storyline. Um, but when I was looking back over issues in which she appeared, um, like rather than having an arc that's dedicated to her, she tends to just be popping up here and there um, in various other storylines. So basically, this has led me to just randomly picking an issue of Ultimate Spider-Man to recommend (laughs) to you. Because as I was going through them, I was thinking, you've just had to watch Amazing Spider-Man 2, um, which is an awful film and an awful take on Spider-Man. You're going to read The Death of Gwen Stacy, which is a good comic, but which is also not a very cheery and uplifting comic, and nor is it, you know, it's not Spider-Man's own finest hour. Um, So I I would like you to read issue 111, of Ultimate Spider-Man by Brian Michael Bendis, uh, Mark Bagley and Stuart Immonen. It's actually the last issue that Mark Bagley did and he handed over to Stuart Immonen as the new artist and they share the art on it because it was a big deal that Bagley was leaving because Bendis and Bagley had done 110 issues of it together. I think they broke uh, the Kirby Lee record on Fantastic Four yep. by doing that. Um and basically, it's it's a self-contained issue in which, after various events have happened, May has found out that Peter is Spider-Man and has and has then been in hospital after having had a heart attack. Um, there's a loose connection to this film because it was briefly believed that Peter's father had come back, and also Gwen had died and then come back. Um, and basically, this is Peter and Gwen, uh, Peter and May, having a conversation about her having discovered that he's spider-man it's the first time they sit down and talk about the fact that he's spider-man and it is just it's there are few better 
more concise and and more uplifting takes on the meaning of Spider-Man and why he's Spider-Man. So just after everything we've gone through with Amazing Spider-Man 2, I just think it's nice to read something that is a nice affirmation of everything that makes Spider-Man what he is. And this is an issue that makes me quite emotional when I read certain bits of it. So, um, yeah, just just read that as a nice little after you know dessert for everything else that you'll be reading from this episode excellent so what what direction are you going in james uh we were talking earlier about whether there are any like good ways of doing peter's parents returning as a storyline mm-hmm. um i think this will definitively prove that there aren't <laughs> so there is. Is this, a... the, is this the secret agent thing? No, because I already showed you that, didn't I? Did I? I can't. Yeah, the unto- I think I think I did Untold Tales of Spider Man minus one for the last. Uh... Yeah, yeah, that was for Amazing Spider Man one. So this is a different one. Um, this is a storyline called Life Theft from uh, the early nineties. It is issues. 386, 87, and 88 of Amazing Spider-Man. Because uh, I think it'll be interesting as well for you to read some 90 Spider-Man, because I don't think you've done that yet. Not oh, the best, the best Spider-Man. Not yeah. much, if, if best I have. Stuff. Much loved by a certain section of the podcast. Me. <laughs> All three of us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Just not Maybe not for else. the right reasons. Um, so this is, it's actually a storyline that culminates a kind of long subplot about Peter and Rich, uh, uh, Richard and Mary's return um, with the Vulture as the villain. So, you know, in a way it ties into Homecoming as well. Uh, so I think you'll find a lot of interesting stuff in there. But also, one of the things I quite like about it is that Amazing Spider-Man 2 shows us a version of Spider-Man who is massively out of character. And the early 90s version of Spider-Man could also not be any less like spider-man if he tried (laughs) so it'll be fun for you to read that as well fantastic okay uh did you say the specific issues yeah three eight six seven and eight of amazing spider-man fantastic okay um so that it was this i've got a record you've you've got recommendations every (laughs) single spider-man comic ever printed they're better than movie done hang on i i I question the assertion that every single spider-man comic is better than the movie because have you read sins past uh yeah i've read it three times maximum clonage (laughs) what is that (laughs) maximum clonage omega (laughs) actually no i do like that stuff no i mean uh, what i would say is don't read those two but all the other ones are right right. okay i'll get on that um the next mega side will come to you in in 2023 (laughs) um okay so we'll move on to our final section now which is the pitch um and I want you to work off the proviso here that you have to make a spin-off movie to The Amazing Spider-Man 2. You have to. You are, you are Amy Pascal back in 2014 and Kevin Feige was so disgusted by this movie that he's never going to work with you. He's never, he's never going to, he's never going to do the homecoming future. So you have to figure out a way to continue this franchise. Which character do you focus on and what is the plot of that movie? Um, Seb, I think you've you've almost given yours away, so let's <laughs> let's come to you first. Uh, well, I, d- I don't know if you've if you've zeroed in on on 
the character, but but my premise certainly is based on the idea that obviously we don't see what happens immediately after Spider-Man launches himself towards the Rhino at the end of that film. Uh, but my take is that he is immediately murdered by the Rhino, uh, and so Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man is no more. Um, I would then follow um, Harry Osborn because I like Harry Osborn. I like him as a character, and uh, you know, as we've established, he's not actually in the wrong in this film, and he's not actually a bad person. So although he has this kind of vendetta of hatred against Spider-Man, when Spider-Man is killed, um, obviously that no longer exists because Spider-Man's dead. He begins to feel remorse for the fact that he um, unintentionally killed Gwen. Uh, and so he is inspired by the few bits of good that Spider-Man did in his life, which admittedly for this Spider-Man isn't very many, but you know <coughs> we'll give him a few. Um, and so becomes a heroic Green Goblin. And so we'd have a Green Goblin movie with Harry Osborn. Excellent. Okay, I'm not sure I agree with the original assertion that he is not a bad guy. I think he's still a bad guy. What? How is? Why, why is he a bad guy? What? What does he do that's inherently evil in this? Shouts story? at Peter a little. <laughs> he does murder a bunch of people. He kills yeah. a dog in the deleted. Yeah, but he's he all you know. <laughs> he's all he's all addled. And as I say, about I'm going by the fact that Harry Osborn, as a character generally, is not an evil person. He's just addled by the drugs. Okay, um, James. Uh, who are you? Who are you spinning off? I am spinning off the character of Ariel. Go on. Is that Mr. Fierce's <laughs> first name? <Who's> <laughs> no, Ariel oh. is a, a cheerleader from one of the high school scenes played by Amber Stevens West. Uh, I think you know cheerleaders in high school. <laughs> there's a you know there's a movie you can make there. Is it called Bring It On? <laughs> yeah, for example. You can make a you can make a bunch of bring it on films if you like. <laughs> I mean, basically, I, I you know cast, you're going to have questions about who this character is. So you can cast I, Mary Jane in it as well. Yeah, if you want. I mean, I know you're going to have questions about who this character is. So I've looked up on the Amazing Spider-Man wiki, uh, amazingspiderman.wikia.com. Uh, you can look up the character of Ariel, and it says Ariel is a character in the Amazing Spider-Man. She is portrayed by Amber Stevens. I thought she was Amber Stevens West, wasn't she, a minute ago? She yeah, is Amber James. Stevens West now, yes. Oh, okay. Oh, haven't you just added it on the Yeah, I mean, you may oh, recognise her... West. <laughs> you may recognise her as uh, Maya from the, bring it, uh, from the 22 Jump Street films. Oh, she's... Wait. Oh, wait, is she the, is she the one who hands out with Dakota, Panic, uh, Dakota Johnson? Don't know, can't remember. Oh, very well researched, James. Good yeah. stuff. But I, basically, she is what what happened is I looked on the IMDb list for the last credited actress. I think we all know what you did, James. And my assumption is she has the least screen time in the film and is therefore least tainted by it. So if you're going to make a film starring anyone from this film, it should be the person who was in it the least. <laughs> okay, Reese, you now have a chance to steal. It's an open goal. Uh, what's the best thing about both these movies? Emma Stone as Gwen, the killer off. Yes, they do. But uh, it's kind of a hot character at the moment with the link to Gwen. Gwen Pool is a Gwen Pool movie starring Emma Stone. Boom, done. Uh, Gwen Pool is not Gwen Stacy. Yeah, it's not I the same character. <laughs> <laughs> there is literally a moment in an issue of Gwen Pool where she says, Why does everyone think I'm Gwen Stacy? There are other characters called Gwen, you know. I literally haven't read any of these comics, so I don't know that. I just in, know like, there's a hot of the moment. If you'd said Spider-Gwen, like you would have been all right. In fairness, but... in those leaked emails, Amy Pascal comes out with the thing like, like, could we make Gwen a Spider character or something, doesn't she? Like, right. she literally so said, said 
And then I think the pitch was if you're Amy Pascal, right? <laughs> in 2014, I just transmuted myself there and I just answered the question as her. All right. I mean, okay. I think the problem was I I bet they didn't have Emma Stone back for any more films because the the no brainer would have been do a Spider Gwen movie because Spider Gwen was like I, popping yeah, at that point, wasn't she? It was well, like, no, kind of like Spider Gwen didn't exist in 2014. To be fair, so that's not true. That no. is true. No, I don't believe you. Um, I think I think it happened right just before then. I think she was popping. Twenty fifteen, mate. Twenty fifteen began. Twenty fifteen. Is it twenty fifteen? Uh, no, <laughs> it was it it was twenty fourteen, but it was after the movie. Because uh, I've literally I've literally just about three days ago written about Spider Gwen for the <laughs> for the Panini series. It was late twenty fourteen. Uh, the Spider Gwen series started in twenty fifteen, but she first appeared as part of Spider Verse, which was. Um, Back end of 2014, early 2015. So it was in the wake of the movie. I mean, didn't but you? But I, f- I feel like Reese, you cannot win this by oh saying God. do a Spider Gwen movie with Emma Stone because we have said that hundreds of times on this <laughs> podcast previously. It is the most obvious thing you can say in the wake yeah. of well, Amazing so Spider Man 2 and the existence who of Spider Gwen. Joe normally picks the guest, so let's just have <laughs> a look at what's about to happen. Joe, take it away. I definitely don't think I can pick you. <laughs> No, nuts. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, I actually like as 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 terrible as they all are because you were set up to fail here. Like, even if James, even if you'd have taken this deadly seriously, you couldn't. There's you you can't salvage this franchise afterwards. There's no character you can focus on. Ah, uh, like, so it was a rigged game. So I do. I think I think that the only one that I would have any interest in seeing is Seb's movie. It would ah. be bad. Uh, it would be terrible. You'd be. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. He would just wait in for that. One. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine. I imagine James's hand hovered over the bell. For, I don't know. Uh, the whole I two almost. I almost after the Civil War comment, but I thought I was, was going to say you. You, would, you got <laughs> towards towards the end, and you were like, oh, have, I, "Have I missed my moment to do it? Will there come up a moment before the end?" <laughs> I was confident stick, I was not going to win. Stick or twist. <laughs> James was confident that you would win the pitch there because that's what happens every episode. <laughs> Does it happen for a while? I don't think it's happened for a while. I, think I stopped we, keeping we've stopped count keeping after count, about yeah. twelve. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I keep count. I'll show you my Excel spreadsheet. So I'll, I'll track every episode. And I have definitely never cared. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the pub, Joe. Come on. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that was our amazing Spider-Man two episode. Um, I, I can't. I, well, no, I do not what we're covering next. And I'm excited. I'm excited, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> If you if you always turn off the episode when I'm running through this boring spiel at the end, like more fool you because you miss out on the post credits tag where I reveal what we're doing next week. So just tell him now. Yeah, it's uh, no, it's, no, you can't break format and tell him. It's now. a movie, even though I can't I can't remember, so I'd quite like to know. But <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so so that was this week's show, Reese. Uh, Anything you want to plug that you didn't plug earlier? Just come to my cinema. It's one of the best in the whole world. Uh, Olympic Studios. It's in Barnes, West London. Come along, please. I'll give you free tickets. As many as you want. <laughs> That's not true. You didn't even give Tom Holland any free ones, did you? No, I didn't. No, no. we just got him to sign some stuff and then we said, get out of here, Tommy! Yeah, the, yeah here are some free tickets. There's mm-hmm. nothing there. Yeah, they're imaginary, yeah. like your director. Oh, boy. Another one. You're gonna, I'm going to start dinging every time I make a uh, John Watts doesn't exist joke. <laughs> that needs to be the first t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> the first? We've got several. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I knew that. I was testing you guys. I have many of them in all Red, the Redbubble.com <laughs> slash Cinematic U. You could yeah. be the third or fourth person to buy a Cinematic Universe t-shirt. Well, there you go then. So that's, that's another plug. Um, 
If you're enjoying the show, uh, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, your podcast app of choice, and you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. And as James said, the full audio from that interview uh, that he did will be up on there. Uh, you can find more episodes of the show at cinematicuniverse.com. You can find us on uh, Facebook, on Twitter at cine underscore verse, and you can send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Oh, I was going to do the theme tune. Goodbye. Welcome to Alpha the city of a thousand planets, where for hundreds of years every species has shared their knowledge and their intelligence with each other. It's paradise. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Valerian. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.